A person who thinks all the time has nothing to think about except thoughts. So he loses touch with reality and lives in a world of illusions. Well, 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 here we are. Hello, Lim. This episode 103 RPG podcast. A podcast all about tabletop RPGs. And with me is founding host, Nick Lamley. <clears throat> and of course, we've got James Clark. What's up, guys? <laughs> yeah. How you doing, man? How you doing? You doing good? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. A little you bit haven't just... died recently? Actually, several times. How no. about you, man? No, I haven't died. Oh. Some people just, you know, carry on living, jobless, you know. But for this 100th episode, we have a very special main subject today, because today we're going to be investigating the today mysterious circumstances of a death that happened in an RPG store in the UK, allegedly. But in addition to that, we're going to be doing feedback, news punch, what you've been slaying, and all of that correspondence and uh, in the electro letters. So uh, should we do some feeded, fed the back? I think it's best that we do, actually, yeah. It's hungry. The back is hungry. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch, the feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So the first bit of feedback comes in from Reginald Tickle, uh, which is a great name. He says, uh, Sean just needs to own the weird stuff. Now, this is in reference to, uh, on the last podcast, we talked about Sean's visual novel. Okay, well, that's kind of appropriate, but we talked about his visual novels, and some of them contain filth, right? Um, This is fact. I, <laughs> that is fact. But I do want to address something, right? Because there was a, uh, some weird circumstances that happened where... Because my mum actually got a little bit annoyed at me, James, um, for uh, when... Because when we actually... Uh, when we spoke about this on the last podcast, the we talked about when Sean gave me a hard drive full of visual novels, some of which were just flat-out porn, right? <laughs> but the, but the, the actual truth behind it... Is that that is a fact? That's just true, right? But what happened was there was this famous website called Fuwa Novel, I think it was called, and the whole website was based around that people would translate visual novels that hadn't yet come to the West, and then they would uh, upload them there. And obviously that was deeply illegal, so the website got shut down. Uh. Now the day before it shut down, Sean went and downloaded everything sight unseen. Like he just downloaded a lot of it without actually um, checking what they were. So, yeah, it was true that he gave me a hard drive full of filth, but it wasn't on purpose. He was just like, right, here's every single one downloaded from this website. But I'm aware now that I am outing Sean as a pirate, so I don't know which one is worse. Um, Probably the pirate. So, yeah, he's a filthy bugger. Yeah, exactly. How many of the the visual novels did you uh, filter through until you decided it was mostly filth? Huh? Well, that's well, that's exactly what happened because I I, w- I was clicking on them at random, and I just think thinking like, oh, that one has a cool name. I'll play that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
And to the point where I was just like, I just called up Sean and was like, can you just tell me which ones to play, please? Because I've, t- I've per- turned on about five and they're all just absolute filth. So I ended up playing probably two out of about the 300 that were, you know, quite good. And the rest of it, I don't know. Pretty mad collection there. I know, it's quite nice to have, actually. But yeah, some of it is pretty bad. Um, but it wasn't actually Sean's fault. I want to clear that up right now. For once, he was correct. And I was exaggerating. But like it or not fact are facts right he gave me a hard drive full of filth yeah, even true. though it was an accident that's true. <laughs> but uh yeah anyway that's that's cleared up that's for you mum sorry <laughs> uh next up uh on the discord right we had a guy come in his name was prometheus 2 and he said hey just listen to your bonus episode for the deadlands game at uk games expo i was that harsh gm i hope you guys enjoyed it Oh, um, Ace nice. actually, Ace actually followed up and said to him, "Go on the show and review the guys as players. Please be harsh." Oh. He said, "Can't fault them. James and Harrison bought their top game. Harrison plays obnoxious really well, which you know, fuck you, Prometheus." <laughs> um, I enjoyed their participation, and there were a lot of really good players. Those two and the guy playing the preacher were spot on, and the guy playing the preacher was his mate. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could tell he, because you know, I spoke to him at the table, and I was like, I, I know that I didn't feel as if he was punishing us. It was just that was what his idea of fair was, and the game was fun, right? Yeah. But it was it was harsh, and that's that's that. But like we said, we've been playing in Sean's games for years, which are even worse than his game oh, in terms true. of harshness. Do you know what I mean? Everyone knows if you've kept up to date that Sean is, you know, he literally. He just goes with the punches, mate, and he doesn't he doesn't restat or anything. It's just what happens, happens. You fact. Yeah, there is no, and you know, it's, it's he'll he'll do it. So it's like, and it's not like fudging is the thing that all GMs do. But no, once there's balancing, it, isn't they, it? They, they, yeah, often like if you're starting a game and you're five minutes in, you're not going to hit them with like an encounter with five mountain lions, two adult red dragons, and five gods. Do you know what I mean? Sean but on the other hand. Yeah, you could you could be ten minutes into a night of gaming and it'd be like, right, TBK, go home, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we're used to it and we like it. That's the thing. Um, and this guy, he did run a harsh game, but it was fun. It was a good game. It's a shame we had to leave early. We had to leave early only to fi- figure out that all the trains were cancelled and all of that jazz. So yep. yeah, pretty uh, pretty good game. And I I appreciate him getting in touch and I appreciate the kind review. Yeah, uh, the. Next one comes in from The Butt Man. He says he finished the Dirt Boy Blues actual plays. And this is something that's new. I don't know if you remember this, James, but he follows up and he says, can be summed up as thus. First 4.5 episodes can't make their personality check to save their lives. Last 1.5 episodes crushes every personality check. (laughs) That's not something I noticed. But if you remember, I I thought about this. And do you remember on the last episode when you met that guy who was like a a revolutionary? And... uh, he, you convinced him to just basically sacrifice himself to so that you guys could sneak into the police station. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Mate. I mean, I don't remember that being the case at all. But then again, you were being bossed around constantly, so probably that makes sense. Well, that's a pretty good summary. Thanks, Batman. Yeah, I mean, he didn't talk about the the quality of your guys' role playing. Just he's pure, he's purely stat based. Is the Batman good? Well, at least I look- he's. Um- you know, focusing on what's important. Yeah, only the good bits. Because <laughs> Lord knows the rest of it is rubbish. Oh, yeah. But the, when we roll those dice... Whew, Magic. Whew. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
But that's it for feedback. Uh, let's do some news. <laughs> news. So, um, yeah, bloody uh, weird frontiers, right? Dark trails. Do you remember this? I've been talking about it for years now, yeah. right? It's out. Oh, really, is it? Yeah. I mean, I, I the, your muted response is sort of how I felt as well, because it finally came out, right? Now, here's the dizzle. So, okay, right. This What I'm about to tell you is not going to paint me in the best light, and I realise this, and I have apologised to the people involved. Right, so... It came out, right, and I, uh, the original Kickstarter, right, it says, uh, this was, remember that this was a uh, weird West setting for DCC, right, that David Beatty, who's got some products out there for DCC, he was writing. So when it came out, it turns out the reason the Kickstarter took so long, because it ended, if I recall correctly, in 2019, right? Mm -hmm. Or, no, it might have been, I think it was 2018, Besides the point. So when it came out, when the, the Kickstarter came out, the text wasn't finished. So he didn't know how big the book was going to be, right? That's just a fact. Okay, David, if you're listening. Yeah. That's just a fact. So I, and then I, I pledged, right, to get a copy of the game, which was 65 quid, right? So I assumed, rightfully, that that included postage. Because I remember when I've bought stuff from Goodman Games and done their Kickstarters, as you have before, right? Mm. I've, I've pledged, you know, um, 65 quid, and that includes the postage. They add it on at the time because it's the product is made by them, so they're sending it. It's not like where you get a drive-thru RPG one or, or, or something like this and you pay postage later, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a little bit strange. And so I just thought that was the case. Now, admittedly, I didn't properly read it, but who does? Okay, now that that I, I'm aware that still is my fault, right? But who does read it? So imagine after after like this is this Kickstarter has been going on for like n- nearly five years, right? Which is outrageous and uh, disrespectful and all sorts of things, right? But I imagine after uh, after nearly five years, I'm sitting there and I'm uh, you know like every week I'm getting more angry about this. Every time I yeah. receive another fucking update about how he's got the t-shirts made. The stickers made all the useless shit right and then suddenly i get an email asking me for another 70 quid for postage and i i just i messaged him and i've got to be honest i'm sorry david but uh yeah my reaction was not the most mature uh did because you, i was um, did you did you react in the moment a little bit and, and well no actually um i left it for about a week right and i had that invoice sitting on my paypal and i was like at first, I was like, "Well, oh, fuck it. That's just 65 quid that I've lost, right? It was four years ago. I don't really care anymore. Um, but then I thought, well, actually, that is kind of annoying, right? Because I, I so I just, I messaged him and I was like, listen, I really thought I was paying the postage uh, because of the overwhelming cost of the product. Uh, is there any way I can have a refund? That was sort of like, it was a little bit, a little bit uh, angry. A little bit immature, but the thing is, what I was what I was kind of saying was, and, and he 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 messaged me back, also quite angry, right? And he was just like, "Good luck finding a nine hundred page book for under sixty five quid, mate." And I was like, "Well, yeah, but 
you didn't know how long it was going to be when you first priced it. And secondly, you've taken five years to get this fucking thing out. I, I don't know. It's kind of disrespectful. And it's kind of disrespectful to then speak back to your fans in a, in a manner which is angry because they're annoyed well, about the terrible mismanagement of your Kickstarter. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know, at the same time, right? You're saying, oh, yeah, try and find another whatever page book. It's like, he does know that when he first made the pledge award amounts, whatever it is, he didn't know how long it was going to be. So it could have been 10 pages long and he would have charged the same. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, he did have an estimate at the start, which was that it was going to be around the same size as DCC RPG, right? Now, it's about double, nearly triple the length out, or whatever, right? But the point is, is like, if I ordered two copies of DCC from America, I, I, it, I would expect to pay £50 plus the £70 postage, but then again, he's a small business, so the pricing is kind of fine. But like you say, he didn't know how fucking long it was. And then to respond to it, because I was pissed off that he had mismanaged the, the Kickstarter so badly that we wait, waited all this time. Now, his excuse that he said on his Facebook was that he was like, well, you know, I'm a, it's my first time doing it, this, that, and the other. And it's like, but you should have researched all of this stuff before you did it. That's why people are having to pay extra for postage. That's why it took so fucking long. If you'd have got your figured out how to publish a book before you'd started even doing anything, I mean, he, he didn't even have the text written when he got to the Kickstarter. Do you know what I mean? The whole thing was really, really woefully mismanaged, and I thought he was a bit rude to me. But then it, he did message me on Facebook, and we had a little chat, and he said sorry, and I said sorry. And he's going to replace it with a POD copy instead, so that, you know, the postage is way, way better. But still, that's, uh, yeah, Dark Trails is well, one of the most... Uh, a good resolution. It's fine, you know. It's not It's not exactly what I want. It was just a bit of a shock, you know, where it came to, like, 70 quid in, uh, yeah. uh, like, another... In postage. Like, as whatever it is, right? It, it, Dark Trails or Weird Frontiers, as it's now known, right? It could be... If it, if the book had some somehow a way to suck you off, it wouldn't be worth 140 quid. Do you know what I mean? And five years <laughs> of waiting. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I mean, all my hypers absolutely died for it. And uh, we, both of us, admittedly, were having a bad day. But I just figured what I'd do is I'd preempt it here on the podcast in case he ever posts my emails somewhere. I know I was a dick, all right? But you were too. And also, uh, well, no, it's not really an excuse for it, but I was just kind of pissed off because it's like, this is the worst Kickstarter ever. I think even worse than that one where the guy tried to get a potato salad made and made 15 grand. What? <sighs> yeah, well, he ended up making a cookbook and then uh, do, of all different potato salad recipes and then traveling the world doing a vlog about potato salad, I think. What, what the fuck, man? I know. What world we live in where you can give somebody a bunch of money just to faff around for five years. Uh, I don't doubt the book is quite good and I've seen pictures of it. Uh, I also think that. I'm not sure it's, uh, that any book needs to be 900 pages, except for... And, and also, one last thing before before we do move on. David said to me, you know, that uh, uh, good luck finding a book for under £65 with this amount of content, this amount of pages. Uh, it's called The Holy Bible, my friend, and it's the only book I ever need. And it's one of these! Yeah. What you slaying? All right then, fuckface. Um, yeah. So we've been playing uh, Deadlands. Yep. Oh uh, yeah. We wrapped up the campaign. Um, 
so sort of long story very long story kind of short is that they were the the whole campaign was based around the four horsemen of the apocalypse trying to merge the u.s with hell sort of bringing hell into our dimension um and but by doing this they, they, they were kind of sowing seeds of terror all around the u.s so while they were trying to do that the players characters were going around the u.s trying to uh, liberate so oh, each territory of which there were like 22 now on one of the second to last episodes these guys uh one of the horror elements was that a weird craft had crashed somewhere there was an alien in it it turns out the alien was supposed to be delivered by an, another group of aliens to war and she was going to unleash it on america who's one of the the four horsemen of the apocalypse the but the player characters i thought you know they were gonna think oh this is a ufo you know it will it was so terror if we end up flying it about uh so let's blow it up and they didn't instead they turned it into a cloud with messages from jesus also aligning the player characters with jesus and put that kind of on the underneath of it so it was a, a like a peace message that that allowed them to fly freely around the u.s as well now it's pretty cool because two of the the the, the, the campaign started with really two uh, with all the characters being the members of a family. Now as people got wiped out, you know, because it was a very deadly game, uh, as people got wiped out, they the you know that some of the family members got switched. We had a priest called O'Shea. We had uh, Crazy Horse, who was an Indian brave, and then obviously we had the two first Finns, who was Ruby Finn, that was James's character, and Colton. Um, who were yeah brother and sister anyway now they knew that the the war was expecting a delivery from this fucking ufo um and uh, they went to go and visit her and picked up one of the new characters who was a minor who was like a prospector who was like one of her minions but they picked they picked her up thinking that she was going to do some sort of deal and we basically the last um episode was two boss fights in a row essentially uh because it was awesome what happened was, is they their plan was to get war on board, pretending, you know, they were the aliens and they were about to do the deal, drive her out into space and then kick her out of the airlock through the rubbish chute. It yeah, did, that's a good idea. It was a great idea. And it sort of went somewhat badly, but the, the last fight ended up very, very epic because they were kind of, they were all trying to take her on in the, it was like the waste disposal unit. And... Yeah. Um, they were trying to fight her and they were sort of all, all on this platform around the side of the bit that sort of sucks everything out into space. And uh, they opened up the uh, the garbage chute, tried to chuck her in. But it was clogged up with something like like all sorts of guts and slizz and sludge and all of this. And uh, they, yeah, so uh, they tried to, one of them dived in. I think it was Crazy Horse actually, dived in, tried to unclog it. Um, but then he got sucked out into space, as did War, as did um, uh, the new character, the Prospector, and they're all floating in space. So suddenly the last fight was all of them, like, because I, I remember reading somewhere, and this probably isn't scientifically accurate, but I remember reading somewhere that if you go out into space, you don't just die instantly. You have about 20 seconds to live. And so <laughs> that was about three rounds of combat, right? So we had suddenly this huge fight going on out in space where it was a prospect uh, um, 
uh, like an Indian brave and a one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse beating each other up in space kind of thing while somebody was trying to tie a rope out there to get them rescued and all of this shit didn't really work out unfortunately because just a minute before uh, somebody stuck dynamite into one of war's wounds and obviously that blasted everyone and then they sort of well, she died, which was good, but the other two got sort of blasted in space being a vacuum. They just got further and further away from the ship and then just died and ex- their heads exploded. So, bit of a shame. But, yeah, but um, it was all for the greater good. It was all for the greater good. And uh, that was all of them except one wiped out, you know, the last one being death. And uh, essentially they were they were going to go um, and meet him in the in the hell realm and try and try and like try and knock him off essentially now one thing that early on sean pointed out in deadlands is that if you're playing a game where it's you know demons devils and all of this exists and priests get blessed with miracles that must mean that god exists right so i mean we've done a session before where we did the, you know, whenever a character dies, we always like to do, you know, their last moments. What do they, what's the last thing they say? This kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And as Sean's old character, O'Shea, the priest, died, you know, we did a scene of him being allowed 30 more seconds on earth by Jesus Christ himself to say goodbye to his friends and stuff like this. So um, Jesus then appears before the UFO and he's like, hey, man. <laughs> and he, he offers them basically, he says, right, if you're going to go and fight hell, uh, fight um, death in hell. Then, then I'll give. I'll allow you two minor miracles, right, to help you out. He's like, I got a lot going on up in heaven, so I can't be there with y'all. But, but it's gonna be a good time, and I'll give you two miracles. And so they said they wanted Crazy Horse back, and they wanted O'Shea back. Now O'Shea, since his death had become an angel, and so suddenly they're going to uh, they're going to hell. So they went to Louisiana to their house where this all started. And where, you know, Louisiana had already merged with hell. And they fought death. And on the team, they had an angel. And they had uh, a bloody... They had Crazy Horse, who was uh, an amazing fighter. And they had two of the original cast members. And uh, they fucked him up. And the reason they fucked him up was because Sean... uh, Obviously, Sean was playing O'Shea, who was an angel, right? And just before this game, I'd looked up biblically accurate angels. And there's a great video on it on YouTube. But, yeah, the... You 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 remember what they look like, James? Describe. Yeah. Um, well, it's just like a mass of crazy, to be honest. That's Pretty probably much. The, the easiest way to describe it. It's like a big, uh, like ah, oh, the beholder, but shapes. Yeah, and if you've ever played Bayonetta, pretty close to all the angels and that. Yeah. Which I can only imagine was some sort of part of their research when making that game or something, but. Yeah, they're really weird, and they're not how you'd expect them to be. And the logic behind it, I've heard from some Christians, is that angels are very strange to scare off demons, whereas demons appear human-like, so they may more easily trick you, right? So Sean, yeah. his, his character's back, and he's not a man anymore. He's a mass of interlocking wheels with loads of eyes and, and several sets of wings, right? And I said, right, I've got stats in front of me for O'Shea but I think because you've just become an angel I think it's more fun where you're going to tell me what you want to do and I'll tell you what dice to roll based on what is on your sheet and you're trying to figure this out for yourself Sean didn't know that in fact what it was was death had the stats of a lich which is incredibly hard to kill but Sean did also all I did was just change the trappings around oh amazing so we so in the end I mean one, one of the 
like cool things about using minis and stuff is obviously you've got this physical representation but there came a point where we just knew it was a dead cert because Sean opened up with such a fucking huge attack using this big sort of holy blast of energy on literally everyone and you just saw like because we like to lay down the minis when they're shaken in Savage Worlds and you just yeah. saw there was this huge line in front of Sean where every single fucking person was on the ground <laughs> and it was just like yeah, so essentially they just blasted Death to Oblivion and absolutely fucking roasted him with holy energy. I mean, everyone contributed in a pretty good way. We had people throwing dynamite, everyone was shooting people. You were trying to wrestle people so that they were getting away of Sean's uh, beam and all of this shit. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they ended up beating him. And uh, the big twist was that, you know, the uh, that Death was one of the characters. He, he had previously killed his biological dad, which is why he was adopted by the player character's family. And Death was his biological dad his bio dad it's not that good a twist for people that weren't playing it but it was quite fun at the game but then we did our yeah. ending scenes and that was a hell of a lot of fun because uh we had a lot of characters back who had previously died and uh i like to say it, all you do is you do one last role it's the game ending role and we see how how your backstory ends up for you and james your character did something Oh, what the bloody hell does she do now? I think she, um, well, she just went back to. I think she. Oh, you know what? I actually literally can't remember. I do. <laughs> but it was quite good. So, what you did is that you went back to Louisiana and set up a new base for um, the kind of. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, and, and put a wall around the city. Not like that, ladies and gentlemen. But um, so that you could guard your, your hometown better and like basically became the leader of like that oh yeah i made it like a big um all accepting safe space for everyone um that wanted to travel through it or just come and live there it was pretty good yeah and then uh vladimir your adopted brother he um became a texas ranger and tried to do some good in the future and then uh crazy horse i mean and this was really emotional after like this long campaign but i loved it because look crazy horse he um returned to his tribe, right, um, in the Sioux Nations. And what was funny is, like, like I just remember this, this because it was a bonus because of Sean's, like, he always sort of stumbles over his speech, right? And he just goes, right, I fly the UFO over, right, that looks like a cloud because these guys made it look a cloud. And uh, he says, the, the hatch opens and I walk out. Everyone in the village stands up. And then he was thinking for a minute. And I was like, that's where we need to end it. That is just so fucking cool. Because they all <laughs> thought he was going to die. The episode yeah. before, he'd done this teary goodbye to everyone. And then he just steps off this fucking craft like Jesus himself. Wait, he but did it, actually do the, um, you know, like the few seconds after death thing. He actually did that and visited his tribe and spoke to his, his wife and stuff. So oh, he yeah, did actually yeah. die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they just see him come back. Like, what was cool about this is that throughout the whole fucking campaign, the, the guys had sowed within the uh, the hearts of, like, everyone in America, including that message on the cloud, that they were essentially the new Christ figures of America. And as a result, when Ryan, one of the other players, his character, Colton, I said, uh, okay, I, it was him last, and I was like, well, what do you want to do then? And he was like, I think I'm going to try and become president of the United States. And I was like, that makes so much fucking sense. And it was beautiful. And then right at the end, the very final thing that happens is he get, he's doing his like opening speech when he's becoming president, and then uh, ba uh, like banners uh, with uh, of all of the other player characters sort of fold down over the White House, and everyone cheers. And we were just like, "Yeah, that was a good fucking ending." We were actually yeah. getting like a little bit emotional. We had some like piano music on, on in the background. It was it was really fucking good. 
It was probably like um, I think it was one of the best um, sort of player character tied up. It was. Because, it really was. Because all the others we've just had sort of um, we've had really good endings, but a lot of them have been um, quite solo in what's happened. But um, especially Ryan's ending really tied all of it together. Yeah, I mean that was amazing, and it made so much sense because you guys were like, you were like, um, I don't know what you call worshipped by the end of this fucking campaign, and for good reason too. But um, yeah, it was fucking cool because I, I remember in Solomon Kane, for example, at the end of that, everyone sort of went their separate ways and did their own things. Do you know what I mean? Like one of them went back to Korea, married his girlfriend, and then we had, um, I don't know, somebody went off to start fighting school and shit like this. But uh, what was funny is I, I know the Deadlands one was quite emotional and wrapped up really well. But like, what about that um, at the end of Solomon came when you had one of your other characters come back for the final fight and you were like, uh, and everyone did these really emotional like goodbyes and then you just went, right, where's that girl? <laughs> there, was oh, yeah. a, there was a girl that you had accidentally, ladies and gentlemen, sexually assaulted. Um, yep. Not James, the character. And not yes, in real definitely life. Definitely the character. <laughs> Yeah, but that was Deadlands. Uh, overall, I think Deadlands Weird West is very fun. James, what did you think of it uh, overall? I think it's a really awesome setting. Um, it really encompasses like the horror aspect ex- extremely well. Um, and it's one of those ones where, you know, at the table, I'm surprised more of us didn't die because it's very character churny. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is, and and you and uh, you you and Ryan were quite lucky, I think, because you were the only two oh, yeah. original. But but a lot of characters did die, and but I, somehow... I did actually die, didn't I? Oh yeah, you did as well. Yeah, so but you got yeah they they went to save him basically from final death. Yeah, I mean, but but it's funny that that more characters didn't die. But I also found it was one of the few campaigns where a lot of the original cast had died, and the campaign still maintained a lot of momentum. And I think that's probably because you met so many different people along the way by going to different states and things like this, um, yep. you know, to set, to save them. But yeah, it's a, it's a really fucking good game. What was funny though, so I used their, in the box set, it came with this nice big map of America and we were, you know, writing on it as the campaign map. So it was like, if they saved somebody somewhere, it would say restored. If we, if somewhere was destroyed, it would say dead because it was now dead land. Yeah, um, we scribbled it all in, permanent mar- marker. Now, you can remove permanent marker with acetone, right? And I tried it, and there was just so much ink on there that I just couldn't be bothered, so I threw it in the bin. <laughs> you threw it in the bin? <laughs> yeah, because, well, because I tried to, um, a bit to to like get some of the ink off, and I realised it was going to be like a fucking hour-long job, and I was just like, ugh, can't be bothered. And it had all smudged and gone all up it and gone brown. But I just figured if we ever play Deadlands again, which we should, I'll probably just... Uh, you know, print another one up or buy another one. They're only five pounds anyway. Um, oh no, that's a good price. But yeah, it was funny. I, I reckon it's it's prime for sequel material because at the beginning of the campaign, it was started with all the characters me- meeting up, having kind of become estranged and meeting up in the town where they grew up. And now you've got somebody who's a ranger, somebody who's, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, a police officer, somebody returned back to his tribe, and then somebody who's president. So it could be we could start off another campaign exactly kind of the same where you guys kind of meet up again, but it's like ten years later. I don't know. We'll see. But you kind of saved the world, so it's not really probably going to happen. 
Yeah, but, it could just um, be like um, an aftermath kind of thing. Maybe two episodes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, like a prologue. Not like the Harry yeah, Potter. Otherwise, one. no. no otherwise, there would have to be um, a completely new set of characters in the new world that we created. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that would be cool, though. Um, yeah. We we switched over though. So my brother's running some Savage Worlds fantasy next. Uh, however, yes, we man. just finished a big old uh, Savage Worlds campaign, so we figured we need a little uh, little palette cleanser. So we've been playing Root RPG now. I picked this up at uh, UK Games Expo. Um, sort of really based solely on the fact that I really like the art and the sound of the setting, um, which which both are very good. Um, but yeah, so the Root RPG, for those that don't know, it comes from a board game by the same name. Well, the board game's not called Root RPG. That would be weird. But um, yeah, and the board game is all about a woodland where there are clearings, which is the name for sort of towns, and uh, there are factions warring against each other. Um, now, one of the expansions for that board game was like the uh, Vagabond expansion, where there's sort of a, a party of neutral characters who don't necessarily belong to any one of the factions. Um, so the root RPG is kind of based around that. So you have a woodland clearing, well, many clearings, or and the area is called the woodland. You guys play vagabonds, and while this is going on, there's a big war for territory and things like this. Um, what's pretty cool, well, there's a lot that's really great about it, but the system it uses is powered by the apocalypse. But before a lot of people switch off, this is the first one I have played of the power by the apocalypse system no run of, of that and i i'm really enjoying it and i i'm not going to say like i'm a full on 100 percent convert because i know that'll get people to unsubscribe but i i've got to be honest it's quite it's really fucking good um well it's i think it's refreshing um because i mentioned it last um episode that we we're at the table then we were playing it last yeah last sesh and we uh i was saying it's quite refreshing because we're so used to um, other mechanics like even Sean for instance uh, tripped himself up by saying like oh, I want a multi-action if that's cool I want to do this this and this and it's just like well uh, this gives us the freedom to describe absolutely everything we'd like to do and then see what happens as a result because you know it was do the it goes back to sort of the basics as if you were a novice and you just say right I want to do this that and the other and then you go okay so let's combine that into one roll or two rolls or three rolls and then just go yeah. ahead and, and roll XYZ. Because the whole game is based around like moves, right? Now now so so you've got things like basic moves, weapon moves, travel, reputation, things like this. And so usually the way it kind of works is that if what the character's doing falls into one of the pre pre made moves on one of those lists, you kind of pick it and say, right, roll this and it will tell you so the game is based around a two D six and it's it's you get mixed success partial success so whatever you want to call it or you know a full success so a seven to usually on most moves it's not all moves but usually seven to nine means a mixed success so for example if you're engaging in melee um that will usually mean they take damage and you take damage or you know you pick one effect out of four whatever or, but on a 10, you get to pick three effects. So you might say, uh, oh, I want to uh, not take damage, uh, do extra damage to them and disarm them, whatever, like something like that. So it's kind of based, on, it's more narrative focused than it is like a story game in the same vein as something like Vampire the Masquerade, because it's more narrative focused. And it's like, you're, 
when you fight somebody, you're not just rolling to hit and then doing damage. You're you're playing out a couple of seconds of fierce fighting between the two of you and what happens and then yeah yeah and and the book the the game does say well the players have to have some expressed knowledge of the moves right and i thought well it's not that's ridiculous there's no way i'm gonna get you to do that so why don't you you guys know you know roughly what your character can do you've got your character's moves on your playbook and you've got your stats right so you just tell me what you want to do and what you think you're good at and it's good enough and then i just assign the moves and it's uh, and then that's that but the I way think it works, uh, because of that, it's, it flows really well because it just goes back into uh, the really good hand holding that you do, where it's just like, okay, I want to do that. And you go, right, well, that means you're going to trick an NPC, so roll this. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I'm, and, and uh, I, I think I'm quite enjoying it because uh, I, I tell you what, the characters are really fucking good. Like, there's been some great role play so far. And the, the game sort of really opens up to being about story, and a lot happens in everything because there's no. There's no pointless faff. Fights are quick, scenes are played out, and then if if something interesting isn't happening, uh, you just don't have the camera be there at that fucking scene. And the cool thing is as well, like so so it's completely for player facing. The GM never rolls, and there's like they kind of separate it between soft scenes and hard scenes, and soft moves and hard moves, right? A bit like how you do in the bedroom. Oh yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> So, like, for example, a soft move is last game when I said... So, we'll get to the story in a second. But last game when I said uh, there was a bear in the woods and he was running at you with his claws out. That's a soft move. Because I'm saying he's going to hit you if you don't do something about this. Yep. Is, that means if you fail, you're probably going to take some damage or or you may, uh, you know, engage in melee, whatever. Um, but then the hard move comes from when you fail. I can now go, right, he attacks you, you lose one exhaustion or you lose uh, one wear on your weapon because you deflect it whatever you know what I mean like so it's that type of thing so it means that it it really just opens up to all my job is is to make the combat fun engaging and things like this so it's much easier because I don't have to be like oh he rolls he misses oh he rolls he misses it's all exciting shit because I'm just like you're about to be fucking killed let's see if you die do you know what I mean so and it, it means combat flows really fast but you also have like so the scenes is kind of like where you will so hard scenes is where when we start a game and I say you're in the you're in the basement you've got this prisoner what are you going to do whereas a soft one is why okay you guys are on the way to the place what do you guys want to do and you just kind of play out scenes like that, and it's it's really good. I enjoy I enjoy the fuck out of it. I mean, it is helped a lot by the fact the setting is so cool. So, and there's a couple of really cool tools for that as well. But it's like so the, the big idea behind the setting is that it's it's a woodland, and there are loads of factions fighting each other, right? Now there are like there's so, so there's a, a race of like basically racist birds who believe that only birds can be nobility and rule and that nobody else gets a vote then there's another sort of more liberal i suppose society called the mark the marquise the cat which or the marquisette which is ruled by this cat and it's more like everyone gets a vote everyone's welcome this that, and the other now, there are loads and loads of other factions as well, but depending on the length of your game, you can pick how many you want to be there. So there's the wood... And to these some of these might be spoilers for you, James, but there's the Woodland Alliance, who are a secret rebel group. There is the uh, an underground nation of moles. There's a, a foreign nation of lizards and things like this. 
But yeah, it's fucking good. And um, such a good idea. So, and the way you set up the game, which is kind of cool. So, so the the big philosophy behind Root as an RPG is play to find out, right? So, you, the players, are playing to find out what happens, right? And to play out what happens. But it's the same with the GM. You're supposed to actually let go of a lot of control. So, I had a storyline in mind from before I even started reading the book. And kind of, I, I decided just to do what the book said and let go completely and just went along with that. So what you do before you set up the game, the game gives you four different maps that you can use and they have blank spaces for all of the clearings and their names and things like this and who they're controlled by. And so the whole thing is all rolled for on these random charts. You roll for who owns it, who owns uh, like and which which ones they own which ones are still neutral what the problem is what in that town what important people live there this that and the other and obviously i did that and the world was so different to how i imagined it that i had to sort of start from scratch on the story so i just set it up very simply with one sort of uh i think they called it like an inciting event or whatever the fuck it's called like it's like the thing that gets everything going and it's that yeah Basically, the player characters uh, live in this town called Wiggly, which is owned by uh, the birds, the Aryan dynasty, they're called. And uh, they don't like those leaders. And one day the, the village is attacked and they suspect the leaders of doing something wrong. Right. Uh, and but yeah, and, and that's that's how we set it all up. And then from there, it was just like, right, what do you guys want to do? You know, and they tracked down the leader. They captured him as a political prisoner and uh, want to hand him over to the enemy for some reward, but also to stop the Aryan dynasty from controlling so many places and things like this. But it's pretty dangerous because they've got one of the most famous men in the woodland uh, with them. So they're having to travel through the woods and stuff like this. On the way, they're attacked by a bear with a helmet on called Iron Face. But yeah, it's, it's good. And you, we got some good characters as well out of it. I mean, James, your character is... Um, Trashjun, he's basically a raccoon, a rogue. Yeah. Uh, we James's brother is playing, and uh, he's got a character. He's an adventurer called Gand Owl. Good pun there. Yep. Yeah, it does the job. It's a pun. Yeah. Uh, but I don't mind actually because a lot of the names are kind of like that, where it's like a normal name, but they've changed one thing. And then Sean is a Ronin called Smedge, uh, and then we've got <laughs> a uh, Ranger. Called yes, Lennox. Uh, yeah, Lennox. But um, yeah, the thing is, the way that animals work in this game is like, uh, and I, I think this is quite a little bit of stroke of genius here because it's uh, so if you pick an animal, uh, it's more because the game is sort of based around fables, where D and D is sort of based around like legends. You know what I mean? So it's like if somebody is a certain animal, it's more to show you that's the kind of character they are more than the actual abilities of an animal. Although you do get those abilities, but it's not baked into the character sheet. It's not like... So if you pick a mole, right, it's assumed that you can dig really well, right? It's not baked into your... It's the same, same thing as, like, for a human, right, in any other thing, it's assumed that you could fashion a basic tool out of something because you're a human. That's just your innate ability, so why list it on the sheet? And it's kind of the same here. So it's just like, well... You know, uh, foxes are uh, fast, uh, crows can fly, you know, all of this stuff. So it's like, at the same time, 
there's no real point in actually marking all that out but it does make it kind of cool because like then you you have these sort of like visual markers for what somebody is like and you've got this like uh for example the guy that they've captured this guy called wigfirth he's like he's a crow and obviously crows are known for being like really shady pretty uh pretty dark creatures so it's like yeah i mean i think that's that's part of the fun of it but yeah i'm enjoying it are you enjoying it yeah man it's wicked like like i was saying earlier i really do like the system and how it gives us freedom to uh i don't know just there's sort of there's more movement about because i know that in um normal say combat for instance you're restricted to a point because you have to um, really think carefully about your single moment within that battle whereas this mm. is you're playing out a scene therefore you can actually think further ahead um, but all of the roles that we have to do will determine whether or not what we wanted to do is successful but to a degree because obviously you have the levels of success so I like how you can explain something uh, with the future in mind to be like well ultimately I want to do this but my action would be this 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 and this Whereas, you know, if, say, for instance, you've got a um, partial success, then it'll be like, okay, well, um, you managed to do it, but in doing so, you got tangled up and you, um, you know, sl- sliced your arm off so you take a level of injury and stuff like that. So, yeah, I yeah. like how it, it's very uh, narrative in that regard, but it, it's, it's quite interesting to be a player um, and to have to try and think a bit differently to what we're used to but it's it's, yeah it's very good i know a lot of people hate uh, the power by the apocalypse system but i actually think it's really good and and i think i think it has its place as well like alongside the others i mean there are certain things that i'm not necessarily sure this game would be as good at like you know dungeon crawling as dnd but that's not what it's for so it's fine um (laughs) but um yeah and there's a lot of politics involved and a lot of role play scenes so i think it's a very very good uh, system for it I would like to speak about the products very quickly, though, because obviously I bought quite a lot of them. Um, uh, the reason being is because uh, at UK Games Expo, where I bought this, the so Root, uh, I think it's made by an American company, and it was selling like absolute mad. I couldn't find it anywhere online, and then the company happened to be there at UK GE. So, um, yeah, I bought the box set. Now, I made, I made a mistake, right, because... I got the deluxe box set of the two main books. So you only really need the core book because there's nine character classes in there. But there's another one called Outsiders and Travelers where you get it bumps that number up to 21 character classes. Wow. And it's actually a pretty good book. If you want to play with more factions as well, that's that's the one to get. But um, I got the box set and I just thought it was a boxed set of both the books, but it's not. It's a deluxe box set. So I actually ended up paying like 25 quid more for it. But I wasn't really paying attention because I was sort of caught up in the con atmosphere. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, and I was looking at the other stuff. And so they, they also have equipment deck, a denizens deck, a dice set, and a GM screen. Now, I will say this. the, the only None of that stuff is necessary. Now, all you need really is the book and then the other book if you want to have more classes, right? Um Reason being is the Denizens deck, like I always loved to have an NPC deck and it is good, but the card quality is one of those ones where it, everything sticks together and I hate that. You know, in that like really oh, glossy yeah. paper, yeah. yeah. So it's it kind of annoying. And then it's just like it'll tear eventually. Yeah, 100%. So if we're handing out quickly at the table, going through quickly at the table, they're not really that useful. Um, so same goes for the equipment deck, although 
that is handy because you can you know mark off boxes of wear when you're when your items take take damage and stuff but um yeah i don't think those are worth it and I, and you don't you definitely don't need a gm screen uh, i made a tiny tiny gm screen just to hide my notes um, it's hilarious it's so small <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, it's really not necessary to get any of that stuff. And it, and the one thing was is that I, I moaned ages ago, and I'm a hypocrite because I moaned ages ago about the Towers from the Loop dice set and how unnecessary it was and how much of a cash grab it was. But then yeah. I, I got the dice set for this game. It was slightly cheaper, but I just... I, do you know what it is? I'm really enamoured by the art style of Root uh, in general because I absolutely... I, I'm, you know, I'm a bloke. I'm really hard, you know. I, could, <laughs> I, I lift, you know. However, I, I do really books. like cute things, and also I think it's uh, Root is great because it's cute, but it's also got really dark themes in it. And uh, yeah, I bought I bought a dice set, completely unnecessary because you have to roll with two d six, and each one is of a different faction, and you don't play characters in the factions anyway. So what's the fucking point? But uh, yeah, it is a really nice um, bunch of dice, though. Yeah, it's just basically eight sets of two d sixes in different colours with the uh, faction logos on the six, which is nice. It's fine. But yeah, it's nice. And I've got the Vagabond pack for the board game because the meeples can be used as miniatures should we need them, which we haven't yet. But yeah. So yeah, I, I do recommend it. I recommend it highly, but just get the just get the core book. You don't need anything else. Uh, and the guy at the booth at UKG was trying to convince me that I did need them. And he kept on calling me mate, which I don't like because he was American. And you know it's how it sounds oh, when yeah. they say it. He's like, hey, listen, mate. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds very patronising. Yeah, yeah. He's like, mate, mate, these are some really nice dice, mate. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, Root, I really fucking highly recommend it. I, w I was going to go more in depth on the story of uh, what we've been playing, but maybe we'll do that next time because, you know, we're already running nearly a fucking hour here. But there you go. Um, yeah, boy. I would like to give a quick shout out to uh, CJ. Uh, I we did. Well, I was going to do a bit of a rundown of the stuff we got at UK Games Expo, but I guess you can listen to that uh, bonus if you want to hear about that. But CJ, uh, one of our listeners, he sent us another package. He asked if any of us wanted to have some Savage Pathfinder stuff, to which I said yes, please. Uh, Sean's running Savage Worlds Fantasy next uh, for for us, and uh, yeah, he's going to use the Pathfinder box set for it, which is, for all intents and purposes, a, a pretty. Uh, great fantasy toolkit for Savage Worlds. I'm not going to lie. I know Sean's running uh, Savage Fantasy next year, but that Pathfinder box set looks well tasty. I'm super jealous. Well, both of us are, you know, although we don't play the system very much, old-timey old fans of Pathfinder, right? Well, it's the and only one I've got, like, um, I've actually got the GM book for. You've got the full kit, mate. Book. Yeah. So I, I really think... I mean, I've got to be honest, I don't get jealous. I don't. I think it's a pointless emotion. But the thing is, is that it was on this one particular case. I was like, Sean's definitely going to use this within the next couple of weeks. He's definitely going to love it. Yep. And I know that, that he'll get a lot of use out of it. However... The thing is, we'll be able to experience it as well. So that's... Uh, uh, that's well, that's one way of looking at it. But another way of looking at it, we're going to beat up Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, the, when his campaign's done... We're going to rush him and teeth it up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be like, week one, we're jumping in some lava. Well, good campaign, Sean. 
Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for the box set. No, no, I, it was it was kind of funny because I, I said to CJ, "Is it cool? Sean has this, you know, because he sent us a nice little box of goodies, and there was some other stuff in it too." But I said, "If okay, if Sean has this because he's going to run it next, we'll all get to experience it. We can talk about it on the podcast, and Sean's going to come on here and do a, like a full review of the whole oh, um, yeah, yeah. Savage Pathfinder thing, which is for those that don't know Pathfinder setting for Savage Worlds uh, system." Uh, but it was funny because Sean, like, he he was, uh, even though CJ said, you know, he, he was like, well, look, he deserves it, you know, because he liked hearing about the mutant animal game and he wants Sean to have it. And I was, uh, but Sean felt so <laughs> awkward, didn't he? Do you remember as he got it, he was like, wow, this is like, oh, this is so amazing. Like, do you want it? And I was like, yes. And then he was like, yeah. you go, mate. <laughs> and we're like, no, yeah, no, it's for you, it man. Back and it was like, no, man, it's like, it's, it's rightfully yours. And yeah, big, big thanks to CJ again. Yeah, thank you so much. And he included some other goodies in there. And there was a, a index card, I, uh, I index card RPG, RPG Master Edition, Deluxe Edition. Uh, and, yes. Uh, I've got to be honest, I snapped that up. And uh, James, I gave you some backstory cards because you are cool. And Nick's, uh, who's not here and hasn't been here for a bloody year or whatever, um, there's a Transformers RPG in there and a TMNT one, so yeah, it, that's that's for you, Nick. Whenever you can be bothered to come back, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen to these though, does he? So, oh yeah, it's fine. Say what you want about him, James. Do you want to say something really horrible? Yeah, man, he's such a pooper. <laughs> oh, Nick, <clears throat> got you, Nick. Bitch! No, no, no. I do love Nick, and he was supposed to be here. We were actually recording yesterday, and he was going to be here. It was actually my fault because I got really ill and started shitting and puking all at the same time. Yeah, brutal, absolutely mm-hmm. brutal. Down in hospital last night. Don't worry about it. Don't phase me. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I feel like I, I want to be. I make make doubly sure just to say thank you very much for sending that shit in, CJ. And that was so kind of you I also wanted to point out I forgot to mention that Sean when he got out of the um, when he got out of the box he was so excited when he saw all of it that uh, he mispronounced he, he picked up the archetype cards and went <gasps> archetype <laughs> oh and also when he put it in a flipping bag for life bag that was so annoying reason, he put it in the opposite so it would fit perfectly in a bag for life bag if you put it in a certain direction and he put it in the opposite way so it made it like really awkward to carry and <laughs> he, he put, put the box in shoulder. unbelievably wide and it was like he was yeah. walking like um it's like he had like his Roblox arm around character. someone but it wasn't around anyone it was just like flopping over this massive bag and i just went sean mate can you just fucking can you just give me that please and then i moved <laughs> it and went, that's that's better that was really funny. But anyway, main subject, here we are. Main. Subject. Magic. Main. Subject. Tokyo. Main. Subject. Subject. So, Kingsbridge, UK, a town where we all used to live. It's a town build around, it's a town built around a dump named after its one defining trait, a bridge which leads to a neighboring town called Shiring. Now, this being this being a town in the UK, it's had its fair share of knife crime, drug offenses and one kidnapping. And while the Kingsbridge police force is largely brilliant, it should come as no surprise that some cl- cl- some crimes some crimes slip through the net. In fact, the manager a double glazing company I worked at once was seen by dozens of people stabbing somebody in the middle of a house party and was never convicted of anything. 
and to this day he works in the cash and carry in a, a neighbouring town. Uh, and I see him there sometimes, so... You know, when I heard about the mysterious, suspicious and violent circumstances in which a local RPG store owner died, I started asking questions. And I'm of course talking about one of the owners of the RPG store known as The Game Zone, whose gruesome death could well be another such case of a local crime slipping through the hands, the greasy hands of the law. But before we do any of this, I just need to do a quick disclaimer because we have received legal advice on the production of this episode and so it falls to me to say the following. All characters and places in this podcast episode are entirely fictional, even those based on real people or places whose names have been changed significantly. Any resemblance to actual persons living or dead or actual events is purely coincidental. No identification with actual places or events is intended or should be inferred. Good. And we're now out of the way. You ready to start a podcast? Uh, Probably should. You know, only an hour in and I think it's about time we start. Yeah. All that last hour, that's getting cut out, mate. That was just... (laughs) (laughs) Now Now we're starting. Right now. Anyway, so the Game Zone, right? It first opened in 2007 on Kingsbridge High Street, adjacent to Pizza Hut and a letting agent. And the store was massive and featured gigantic terrain displays, racks of miniatures and tons of role-playing books with a heavy focus on D&D 3.5. And a year later, it it shifted its focus to 4th edition and the D&D miniatures skirmish game whose name I can't remember. Um, The shop was absolutely gorgeous. The terrain exhibitions were large, impressive, and contained within museum-like displays, and the shelves and counters were all pure white and angular and minimalist, resembling today's Apple stores. So as such, you could say it was quite ahead of its time, and behind the helm of all of this were a husband and wife, who we will now refer to as Q and the husband, and a third founding member, who uh, we're going to call Bucket, I've come up with some good names in this podcast. Well, because everything's fictional, obviously, isn't it? Yep. yep. Now, as I've said, Q and the husband and Bucket have done had done an impeccable job with the interior of the store, and it maintained this gorgeous look throughout their tenure in the town centre. But rather unsurprisingly, it shut down after only two years of trading, and the reasons for this were manifold, manifold, manifold. First of all, <laughs> the location, right? It was right in the heart of Kingsbridge Town Centre, where the shops mainly consisted of like Woolworths, Topshop, McDonald's, and so on, basically normie shops. And as such, the rent was about £7,500 a month, which adjusted for inflation would be about ten k a month today. So, Fuck me. I know, it's ridiculous. So, so basically, you know, and RPGs at the time... Like, I, nobody knew what they were. It wasn't a mainstream hobby in the UK. It was all Warhammer. It was all sex attacks. <laughs> those, Yeah, but those are like the main hobbies at the time, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. But, and the trouble is, right, is that at the time, the Game Zone didn't sell Warhammer, just D&D stuff. So as you can probably imagine, there was no fucking way in the nine hells that they were going to make 7500 7, a month. I mean, the fucking Domino's Pizza next door wasn't making that kind of cash, and Kingsbridge is, like, full of fatties, right? So that should tell you something. Those are people that are actually buying their product. I mean, the fucking Game Zone, they were selling things that people didn't want in a town where nobody knew what they were. So it's unsurprising that they shut down. (laughs) But alongside poor sales, niche products, the service was, like, at best cringe, and at worst, actively hostile, right? You know this. And there's a gap later on where we'll get to talk about the service at these shops, right? But, you know, 
it was bad. You see, Q and Bucket were really nice, but the desperation to make sales was absolutely leaking out of every pore, and many customers at the time were put off by the overbearing and often socially inept nature of a trip to the game zone, because the shop was always empty, always quiet, and Q and Bucket would kind of follow you around, hyping up everything you picked up. Like, if you, I know this is a shit reference, but do you remember in Little Britain where that guy's in a corner shop, and he's kind of picking stuff up, and the guy's like, thirsty? hungry and then he picks up a porn mag and he's yeah. like planning a wank it's like that that was what we was like shopping there like you pick up the monster manual and and, uh, and she'd be sort of be standing behind you with a big fucking smile on her face and and uh, Q would be kind of like oh yeah that's one of the great monster manuals that one. Oh, you can have a lot of fun with that oh, I'm just looking at you can you just back off a minute. Oh, well, yes. And then you pick up another one. She'd be like, oh, the Dungeon Master's Guide. An essential for any Dungeon Master. And I'd be like, can you just fuck off? Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to fucking... Sn- but even then, she'd be like, yeah. And she'd be like, oh, oh fucking off. Miniatures. One of the great pastimes. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and then she'd compliment you on your slapping ability. None of this ever happened. In fact, none of this ever happened because it's all fictional. Um... That that was really you know what what it's like like enthusiasm right is a good thing right but coupled with like the old icy cold atmosphere of the place and her sort of looming over you every time you looked at anything it was a little like, uncomfortable and add to that right the husband who was who treated any potential customers with such contempt that you wondered if he actually cared about the hobby the shop his business partners or anyone really I mean. To give you an example, right, I was a young man and I went in there to buy some of the D&D miniature booster packs which were used for the D&D skirmish game. I wasn't actually playing the skirmish game, I was playing with you and Sean and I just wanted the miniatures. But upon reaching the counter I received a lecture from the husband about how the skirmish game was a betrayal to all things D&D and he schooled me on the failings of 4th edition, a game that he had just sold me a few weeks earlier. So, you know. That's good that, isn't it? It's impeccable. I can see... Look, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons why their town centre location failed, but you bet, I mean, Jesus Christ, you go into any shitty shop, right, and people are generally somewhat enthusiastic about the things they're trying to sell you because that's their job, and this was his actual business, and he was telling you the thing you've and hobby exactly, and he, he just hated you for it. So, I, oh, the things you just sold me, things I just spent eighty pounds on, like, oh, they're rubbish, are they? Okay, good. Well, I'll know better the next time to to fucking buy off you then. Anyway, um, I think what he was getting at, right, when he schooled me on the 4E stuff, was that he was trying to get me to buy the expensive 3.5 editions that he had sitting on a dedicated bookshelf by the counter, because they were like out of print at the time, like just barely, but they they were harder to get basically. But nonetheless, the whole experience of shopping there was shit and not very fun. And back then, right, you know, you have to remember we were still doing a lot of shopping on the high street, so it wasn't like, oh fuck you, I'll go and buy it on the internet. Um, and also, this happened to be not only like the only RPG store in Kingsbridge, but also one of the only stores of its kind in the country. So it's not as if like there are alternatives, right? And that's what was so sad about the whole thing. And yet still nobody wanted to shop there. It was the place to go and there was nobody going there. So, you know. It's a big shame. <laughs> It's actually, it's actually like yeah, a pretty amazing shop. Like in today's world, or at least our very small portion of it, it's really cool. Especially the original location, right? And we'll talk about what happened after. Yeah. But it was really nice. I, and I reckon, given the popularity of RPGs 
you know, now in the UK, and probably especially in our area, it would probably do all right there. I don't know if it could make 10K a yeah. month. I don't know if it could make 1K a month. I'm not a businessman. But I reckon more, a lot more people would be going there because it's, it's become a lot more accepted to be into this hobby. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah. So after closing their doors in 2009, as I mentioned, they moved to uh, a location far from the high street and to a much smaller, more dilapidated store on the Shiring Road leading to an adjacent town. And the store was on the very bridge after which Kingsbridge was named. And this time, it was opposite an off-license, a Londis. Um, the failure of the original location of the game zone, though, was a bit of a wake-up call, I imagine, because it wasn't long before the, start, the store branched out into more than RPGs, now stocking Warhammer, board games, which took centre stage in window displays. And uh, with the RPGs, were relegated to a corner uh, towards the back of the shop. And over the years... All of the products in the window would fade in colour as the sun shone, uh, as the sun shone through the window and the dust collected on them. And that's not a metaphor, right? Uh, the window was never updated. New stock was almost never acquired, which meant that on the few occasions I bought purchased board games over the years, I, it ended up being quicker and cheaper to buy them online and buy quite a lot. For example, I once ordered a deluxe Scrabble set via the shop and had to wait for the supplier to send it to them. Now, bear in mind, right, the game zone probably uh, only sent one order to their suppliers a year, right? Which meant I had a two-month fucking wait to receive the game. And I could have just gone to Argos and got it, you know, the same fucking day. And, Savage. yeah, I mean, I'm all for supporting local, right, and paying a couple of extra quid. But when the lead time is multiplied by, like, ten times and the price is doubled, what the fuck am I going to do? Because, like, a good example, right, James, is that I bought Index Card RPG Master Edition Standard Edition from uh, uh, Leisure Games recently, right? And they said they needed to... uh, They were ordering a copy in, and then they'll send it to me, so it's going to take 10 days, right? And the price was probably about £5 more expensive than I could have got it on Amazon. And I could have got... You know, but but the thing is, the £5 more expensive and the 10 days, it's a reasonable amount of time. It's not quicker than Amazon, but it's a reasonable amount and it's a reasonable price, right? So then I'm going to go local. You can't just expect people to be be that faithful. It's like, okay, if they'd have told me, yeah, but it's going to be £80 and you're going to have to wait two months for this book, I'd tell them to fuck off. Yeah, that's true. You know, there's there's only so much people can do when they say, "Oh, support your local businesses." They have to kind of, but the thing is, you have to be competitive, right? I'm not saying that the the prices should be as good or better than Amazon, but they need to be reasonable. As does the lead time. Do you know what I mean? I'm not I, I'm not going, and it, it's just it's insane, right? And I ended up paying like a lot more for this set, and it took two months to come, and I was misled about how long it would take. And I suspect, right, that Q the, uh, and the husband might be David Beatty, the author of Dark Trails. Because <laughs> they're very good at making people wait. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so, so it should come as no surprise to anyone then that the shop was not doing very good at all. And by 2012, I branched out into selling Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering and Pokemon cards. There's nothing wrong with that, and Magic the Gathering is basically keeping most game stores afloat at this point, but here's the dizzle, right? The game zone still fucked it because Magic cards and Pokemon card booster packs were still for sale at fucking Argos and Waterstones and all that for £2.50. And in game zone, you want to guess the price? Uh, £5. Exactly. Double. Double it. Who's going to fucking pay? Especially as most of the audience that's playing these games are kids with their pocket money. You could get two packs or a fiver, or you could get one, but go to a shop. 
that it's really quiet and weird. <laughs> and dusty. And very, very dusty, right? Um, but yeah, and a starter deck, right? So you can get like pre-built starter decks where you can just buy it and start playing the fucking game. At least I know you can with Magic the Gathering. Uh, and they're about 15 quid usually. And they were 30 quid in the game zone. It's like, all right, well, what do you expect people to do, man? Do people, like, like not only that, but the, the walk from game zone to the town centre, right? It's not, lo- it's not that long. No. I would do it to save £2.50. Yeah, yeah. And it's these true. are things that are available in the shopping mall, in fucking uh, the, the supermarket. All, of the, all Like, so it's just, you, there's no way people are going to fucking buy it. It's no wonder they're fucking struggling. But yeah, so nobody was buying. The prices were too high, even on the stuff that Q and a company had reluctantly branched out on. So in the end, they finally resorted to opening up their back rooms for rent. Not like in a sordid way, but uh, once a week hosting Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic and Wargaming and role-playing nights. So each one of the five weekdays had one of those nights, right? Now, it's at this point we'll discuss sort of the quality of it, right? Because James, I don't know how many times you've been there to role-play, but I joined a D&D game uh, a little while back and I've I played was, a couple uh, of times there. Once. Yes, yeah, where we... So... Yeah, I'll, I'll start here, but the but essentially, right, what you've got to do is you, every person pays a fiver, right, and that's for three hours of play, that's not terrible, uh, and they've got one big room and three smaller rooms. Now, the thing is, right, a lot of these old buildings uh, that are around, you know, their Kingsbridge area, they're kind of like, a lot of them haven't been updated since... I don't know, for like 100, 200 years, right? So it means that a lot of the back rooms are not very good at being not mouldy. And they're very small and cold and weird shapes. Um, And you're paying a fiver to be there. But describe your experience, because it is unpleasant. Well, it's sort of, you go through the pleasant looking store go down some creepy steps and then to be fair the underside of it is was, was quite large um but then you go into this like weird corridor with a janky ass the only thing it could be described as is basically like a pub toilet a single pub toilet is at the end but it's like got a broken door but then you go into the room that you've been assigned Yes, it's firstly, it's oddly shaped. Secondly, there's a table far too big, which means that it's uncomfortable to sit around it and you kind of have to squeeze in just to sit in your own spot. And yeah. um, it just, uh, the whole festering smell of BO because one, the type of people that uh, frequent it and two, the lack of cleaning. Yeah, there's no, there's spider webs everywhere. Like there's an old mop and bucket that hasn't seen use in years. Like, beneath the and stairs it just smelt like mold as well that was the other bit so it just yeah. smelled piss mold dust and bo yeah and the worst thing is you know, like you mentioned the loo right and the loo the, the, the door's broken right it hasn't been fixed in years i mean in i played a game there i don't know for a couple of months maybe like five six I, I don't remember how long it was but the point is is that the whole time i used the loo it was never fixed and there was never any loo roll and also the yeah, they fucking stink. Like, it hasn't been cleaned in years. And I get it, it's gross, right? You're a shop owner, you don't want to have to clean the toilets. But unfortunately, that's part of it. Now, the the thing is as well, what, what kind of annoys me, and we'll talk about this in a bit, is that the Q and the husband, for a long time, and Bucket as well, were part of this Deadlands game, which has been going on. And I talk about this a bit later. But um, they have 
prime location upstairs, right? And the thing is, whenever you book a game there, they say, right, we've got all these maps, minis, terrain, you can use all of it, right? But where it's stored is right next to where the owners are playing Deadlands. And, and I'm just saying, if it was me and I was charging people, I don't think I'd have the prime location in the best fucking spot. That should be for the fucking customers. It should be you playing your personal game that's playing back in one of the shitty back rooms. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's it, to, to me like and, and there was a, like another group that was playing upstairs like amongst all the games as well like because they put a table out right in the middle of the shop too and like that's kind of a nice location and even you know the big room downstairs is still pretty dank still pretty mouldy um, but it's got carpet at least and there's a heater in there do you know what I mean like and a couple of tables even that's better I, but I don't I really don't I think it's a little bit fucking shitty that they think oh well you can use all these minis but in order to get to them. You know, you'll have to interrupt our game, sidle past all of us very awkwardly and try and get to it. It's like, well, but nobody's going to do that. And you know that. And so you're playing a fiver essentially to sit in a room that might actually end up making you ill because there's no ventilation. It's all really fucking moldy. And it's like, it's cold as shit. Like gaming for a night in your coat is not fun. And in the summer, it's like, you know, I don't know, kind of refreshing, but it's horrible down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nasty. Grant, nasty. Yeah. But like, I don't know if you you haven't been in there much to buy stuff, right? But Correct. I I I think I've probably been in there not that much more than you. But on the few occasions where we have, do you want to describe the atmosphere? Because we I went with you a couple of times to like buy minis and things like this. Um, it's so the atmosphere you get in there. It's like um, it just feels very numb as soon as you walk in. But then at the same time, as you're browsing, uh, you just get a sense of nervousness because you're just being peered at. You like, yeah, you, like as, as soon as you get in, you know that there's eagle eyes on you watching your every move. So you feel a bit uh, like you don't want to pick anything up. You don't want to look at anything because someone's like watching out for your every move. And like we mentioned earlier, it's like, Oh yes, yes, that's a that's a goblin. That's a really good goblin. You should buy it. You know that kind of shit. It's just like leave me alone. Let me browse. Yeah, not to mention it's so quiet. Like put some fucking music on. So I, I, I because like like we've been there, right? And I want to discuss what I want to buy. Like I've been in there with my wife a couple of times, and I want to discuss what I want to fucking buy, or or be like, uh, should I get this? Should I get this? Without having somebody else listening to my fucking conversation. It's not a huge store. But just put some fucking music on. Like, it's your fucking shop. Have a TV on that you can see. You know, playing any selection of nerd films. People will love it. Yeah, and they'll be like, true. oh, The Terminator, love that. But, but it's like, it's so fucking quiet. And I always find that, like, when, like, when me and my wife went in, when we bought um, some, there was a Loki Battle Maps uh, box set that Sean wanted. And we, we bought it from there. And it actually turns out my Deadlands box set as well had been marked up to double. So I bought it for £100. Um, anyway, so we, we were milling around in there and fucking, um, like, Millie found the box set cheaper online. But I was trying to say, no, no, we'll buy it from the store. But we couldn't really communicate with each other. So we just had to leave and then come back. Because that was the only way to do it. And yeah, it's like, that's, the, that's the trouble, you know, about supporting your locals. Especially, well, especially Millie. But I know that people nowadays will walk around the shop see a price of something google it if they can get it cheaper online they'll be like ah, i gotta wait till tomorrow to get it on fast delivery yeah i'll just wait i remember the first time i ever went in there right and i was asking about fucking uh role-playing 
and she sold me a D20, and like, I, I, I like Q's, like, um, enthusiasm, but sometimes it's weird, man, like, you're in this really quiet store, and I'm buying my first ever set of dice, and she goes, you want to give it a roll, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm alright, and she goes, oh, I'll do it for you, <laughs> 18, lovely, anyway, um, and it's like, okay, but then, in addition to this, right, I, for a very, very short stint, before I realised I couldn't afford it, my wife and I played Magic the Gathering, right, and we went in there to go and buy some fucking magic cards, and, uh, yeah, she she um was serving us. She said, "Oh, we run a club on Wednesday nights. Maybe you could come down." And this fucking like fourteen year old boy came up to greet us. He was like, "Yeah, basically, we play every Wednesday. It's all the lads from uh, from my English class." And it's like, <laughs> I'm twenty fucking five years old. What are you doing? It's mental. <laughs> I don't know how old you thought we were, but it was like it was insane. I'm not twenty five now. Obviously, I'm an old man. But like back then, I was. It was really weird. It was really, and like, as Millie and I got out, like, having bought some cards and that, we were just like, what the fuck was that? It was so awkward. He's like, yeah, we play Yu-Gi-Oh too, if you like that. Sometimes there's anime on in the background. It was really weird. Really weird. But that, I mean, that is, so this is the quality you're dealing with, right? We've told you about the back rooms. We've told you about the, the quality of the service. And, and you know, they, they would, Nick isn't here, annoyingly, but there was also, you know, a, a time where he went in to buy a product uh, no, he went in to buy minis for a campaign uh, only to get schooled on a completely different system. Um, for, for, I'm going to change it up, obviously. But we were running a sci-fi campaign, for example, in uh, Stars Without Number, right? And I went in and, and he asked me, oh, what campaign are you running it in? Uh, what, what are you using these minis for? And I told him. And then he just he just said, oh, yeah, that's a shit game. That's a shit game. You don't want to play that. What you want to do, what you want to do is get your, get yourselves onto Fate. And he sold us a copy of Fate because he uh, because he was just so annoyed. That, but we, it's like, okay, I get that we didn't buy the system from your shop. I understand that. But we're here now, aren't we? Buying materials yeah. for the fucking campaign. So shut up. Yeah, annoying. whole thing was bloody annoying. But, yeah, that's what it was like. And during my infrequent visits to the shop over the years, as we've discussed, the atmosphere was like really pregnant with awkwardness. And other witnesses will attest to this later in the podcast. And there was a, there was a kind of tension in the shop. First, you had the air of desperation, the elitism from the husband. The bucket, basically, at this point, was largely unseen, except on the old Wednesday when he participated in the husband's decade-long Deadlands campaign, which actually sounds really fucking good. Um. The hostile atmosphere of the store never quite left, and uh, as as whenever you went right, Q and the husband would often be at odds, right? The husband would be deriding you over any and all purchases you made, while Q attempted to combat it with what can only be described as sort of annoying over-enthusiasm. And you'd often see her sort of make stealthy attempts to get him to shut up, right? And this is what would always happen, like, like he'd be going, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're playing, uh, you're playing Dread, are you? That's a shit system. Yeah, and and then she'd be like, "Okay, uh, why don't you go back uh, back there and paint the minis?" Like this type of thing, like sort of really passive aggressive, like shut up, uh, sort of thing. And it was like he was trying to do it on the slide, but you could always notice her kind of getting annoyed. And the husband was actually really genuinely often relegated to uh, painting minis for display in the back room while either Q or their kids would be on service. Then fast forward, right, to September 2018, and now deleted post regarding the untimely death of the husband at around age 50 was announced on the Facebook page for the Game Zone. Something that at the time I basically thought nothing of, but this was followed up by many other posts about his efforts in maintaining the shop's modest business and his merits as a father, which are all now deleted. And perhaps by accident, 
There's only one single post about him remaining on the Facebook page, inviting any customers that knew the husband to his funeral, although the follow-up post containing the details of the funeral is also deleted. And one additional piece of information that is quite interesting is that Q had always referred to the husband as my husband, but a few months before he passed, she began to refer to him as her business partner and continues to do so to this day, which is odd considering they have kids together, you know, and so on. And yet the reasons that this shift took place are mostly private, but obvious explanations, you know, could be a divorce, a separation, a bad row, whatever. So it's not suspicious, right, that she would change what she called him, um, because, you know, everyone does that. But uh, let's talk about how he died or how I came to learn of the manner of the husband's death, right? So in 2018, shortly after his death, I ended up playing in a public game on their Wednesday role-playing nights. And I met like 20 or so of the gamers who played there for months and sometimes years. And one of which was a part-time worker that they currently employed to help out just during the, the, the evenings, right? And uh, this employee, whose name we're going to call Cypher, right? We're giving him one of the cool names. Uh, through a set of coincidences, met my wife, who happened to clock my wife's surname and put two and two together and asked if she knew me, which she does, obviously. She's my wife. She knows me. <laughs> um, but yeah, they got chatting, right? And uh, my wife asked Cypher, you know, how he was coping with the death of one of his employers. And one thing led to another. And Cypher is very, very open about all of this, which is kind of weird, uh, but also kind of... Well, good for this, because we're doing a podcast about it. But, um, yeah, so he started talking about how the husband actually died. Now, I don't want to get any of this wrong, right, or get any of his original account wrong, because it was, like, four years ago now, right? So I contacted him, and uh, this is his exact statement written down verbatim. I was going to play it as an audio clip, but I decided, uh, actually, what I'm going to do is just read it out, because otherwise people, <laughs> you might be able to recognise his voice. Um, but it, which you wouldn't be able to because he's fictional and I never actually called him and that never happened, fact so anyway, his statement is I was, so I was asked to open up the shop one day because Q was going away somewhere which she almost never did and it was a bit weird because they lived in the upstairs rooms at the back of the shop but at the time I didn't think much of it I just assumed she was doing something important and maybe the husband wanted a day off I mean I really didn't consider any of this until after but whatever anyway so we opened up at 11 and I got into the shop at about quarter two and it was just completely quiet. Called out to see if anyone was in and nobody replied. So assuming the husband had just gone out, I started turning the lights back on and went to the back rooms to flip the switches. And I just saw this like red shit trailing up all the stairs down to the basement rooms, all over the fucking light switches, smears in all of these puddles like someone's hand had smushed it around, big fucking chunks of red stuff all over the place at the bottom of the stairs. I see the husband and he's lying face down like half up the stairs with his head at the bottom of the stairs and he's in like fucking huge pools of blood and I mean it was up the walls leading down he's covered head to toe and obviously now I know that all the stuff up the walls up the top was his blood and the place looked like an abattoir so obviously I called an ambulance but like I knew he was gone because he was pale as fuck and wasn't moving and his eyes were like popping out of his head. So he gets collected by an ambulance and I call Q and she's a bit shaken, but obviously doesn't, uh, obviously, but doesn't say much. So what I later learned was that she had gone to the hospital and he was dead when I found him. But I hear about what happened from her later because she calls me and this is, he emphasized this, that day, like about five o'clock to help her clean up the mess. What I didn't know 
is that crime scene cleaners are privately owned, so you don't necessarily get one for uh, some type of violent crime, like you might if you live in a certain county, but it was left to me and Q to mop up and basically, uh, basically a load of disgusting stuff. The whole time she's like quiet and keeps stopping for long periods while I just cleaned around her and it was fucking grim. I'm talking it was difficult to remove, pulled up with massive chunks in some of the displays. We were working till like gone midnight I say. And it's just a bit fucking weird really because she's never out of the shop. She was supposed to be upstairs and I've been called in to open up for the first time ever. And I find that, again, it sounds stupid, but I was was so shocked that it wasn't until like months later that the weirdness of the whole situation really sunk in. And that's basically Cypher's statement, right? In addition to this, he does follow up with a, with, I mean, he raises a lot of questions, right? You you, you know, there's no there's no two ways about it. He raises yeah. questions. It is, um, it is odd. Because there's a lot of things in there where you, you could kind of go like, Okay, I can understand why that might happen, but it is strange that it did. Do you know what I mean? Um, we'll talk about possible motives later, but Cypher finishes by telling me that during the cleaning, Q spoke to him about how the husband died, and she alleged that the husband had an addiction to paracetamol, which for the US listeners is acetaminophen. And basically, she says it's goofed up his liver to where he suffered a sudden liver failure and coughed up so much blood it ended up killing him, right? Now, when I first heard this, a few things sort of came to mind. But first off, right, in England, nothing is done quickly, right? And it, it, in fact, before I continue this, she was telling Cypher that apparently um, the, the, the husband was screaming out blood up the wall. She was saying something like very sort of kind of detailed references to things that she might not have known, which is kind of weird. But so anyway, right, I hear about this where she's called him the same day and attributed his death to a certain thing, right? And a few things sort of came to mind, because as I mentioned, right, England, we don't do things fast, right? And that includes post-mortem examinations. And these are usually performed in the UK when somebody dies of a sudden and or violent death. It's not all deaths, but it's if it's sudden, out of nowhere, if it's a child, that, you know, and obviously this was out of nowhere. He's only about 50, uh, and it was sudden, and it was violent, right? So, of course, they did a post-mortem examination, but the same day, I mean, th- so how did she know the exact manner in which he died the same fucking day? I mean, it doesn't happen. I have limited experience with this, obviously, but according to the NHS website, post-mortem am- examinations are usually performed within two to three working days after the death. Working deaths, yeah. right? And this is true pretty much across the board, with some exceptions being private care homes, which he wasn't in one, right? Now, I can't imagine there being a fluke whereby he was seen quickly because it's not as if there are loads of these people in every town right they call somebody in from far away and they give you an appointment that's the way it works so it's a little bit weird that that suddenly she knows exactly the circumstances in, in you know whatever but it's possible i reckon that doctors made a cursory examination as a kind of working theory for the death and that's what she told cypher do you know what i mean yeah. You know, while the, while they res- waited for results from the coroner, because often pe- they might say something like, "Oh, um, you know, we've seen in his records that he has this. This could have been it," and then she's just ran with that. Right? That's possible. And it is also possible that Q had relayed information, you know, about his paracetamol addiction to the doctors at the hospital, and then they said, "Well, that is likely it." Do you know what I mean? Like something like that. It's all possible, but then again, there was her knowing details that not necessarily she should have. But then I got to thinking, right? 
and we spoke about this the other night, but uh, how likely is it that paracetamol addiction would cause such a violent reaction? And is it even possible to be addicted to paracetamol? And I'm not saying, like, trying to cast doubt on these things. It's, I'm just saying I don't know. So I got the advice of two doctors, one of which is a doctor of medicine who knows a lot about this type of stuff, obviously. And the other is a brain surgeon who did a year in medical toxicology, right? So the first medical doctor, who we'll call Dr. Kleiner, said the following. So she says, uh, this is an interesting one. When I was young, I heard Matthew Perry had a paracetamol addiction, but in medicine, it isn't a thing. I don't know why she put that in there. It's a bit of a weird detail, but you know, Matthew Perry, hope you're doing all right. Um, but yeah, she said, you can't get tolerance or real addiction to paracetamol, but you can get a psychological addiction where your mind creates dependence. And paracetamol is very harmful to the liver in overdose and relatively easy to overdose on. It was approved before it was known how much was harmful. So you only have to take moderately more than the proper dose to get harmful side effects. Whereas with most drugs, you have to take a lot to overdose. Now, James, at this point, I asked Kleiner if she knew whether or not the overdose would be like a turbo violent thing, like what happened to the husband, or a slow thing leading to liver-based complications. And her reply was this. She says, no, you can overdose on it quickly. It's often the choice drug for suicide by overdose. Uh, overdose. But uh, as to whether or not it would cause such a hideous reaction, you can get acute liver failure and the liver creates clotting proteins so you can bleed out, which would include vomiting blood. But I've never personally seen or heard of anything, uh, any such case, so I'm just going to go by logic. I've never seen an untreated overdose, only those that were caught early enough so they can be treated with an antidote in A&E. So that's her input, right? And it does kind of, it kind of, this blame sort of shifts away here. Maybe there isn't a murder that's happened. Maybe the circumstances are not mysterious. Hmm? Hmm? But let's talk about uh, the other one, who we're going to call Dr. X, because I've tried to make him sound cool. Uh, Dr. X says, uh, of course, the reaction can be violent, but it's not instant, not even close. When overdosing on paracetamol, you die from liver failure because paracetamol is toxic to the liver. However, if you take a lethal dose, you'll die over a period of several days. Your symptoms are getting worse, in, in, including extreme pain, jaundice, delirium, and then the toxins in the blood will cause the brain to stop functioning normally, of course. Vomiting and vomiting blood is normal too. But it's for it to happen suddenly is highly, highly unlikely. It's correct that you don't have to ingest an awful lot to die from it, but it's a drawn-out process which can often take weeks. So... That is those two guys' statements, and it, it does muddy the waters a little bit, but of course what happened is a possible outcome, you know, of having an addiction to paracetamol, right? We know that now. It's possible, yep. but, but not probable. So, but remember, this wasn't a suicide attempt or an intentional overdose. This was just another day in the guy of alleged psychological addiction to paracetamol. Someone who, A, right, would have built up an immunity, and B, would have almost certainly died over a long, drawn-out period. And his symptoms, if this was the fact, in fact, the way he died, would have been noticed by those around him. So then it is also possible that in the days leading up to his death, the husband happened to avoid any slash all contact with anyone. And it's also highly possible that this was a suicide attempt. But two things are worth noting. First of all, his colour after death, right, was not consistent with somebody having died of liver failure. Because remember, Cypher earlier described him as being pale when he saw him. Now... Additionally, people saw him the day before he died, right? So if your paracetamol addiction is supposed to kill you over a long, long time, right? A couple of weeks, then you're unlikely to be at the shop GMing Deadlands yeah. for all to see, right? Do you know what I mean? So uh, 
I contacted, well, actually, I didn't contact him. I cornered him at the pub. The GM, who, who was at there, who used to GM at the games, I, I asked if his missus also wanted to speak, but she didn't. But anyway, uh, we're going to call him Fatty. Uh, and yeah, he was he was there uh, the, the day before uh the husband died he was there at the game zone and was running starfinder and he says this he says yeah i do remember that night as it happens when she wrote a status on facebook about the husband dying i think it was about two days after my wife showed me the post and we were quite shocked you know for obvious reasons but i remember we were discussing it like talking about when he came down to see us during the starfinder game and he was giving me shit because he thought space goblins were kind of dumb and i was like i know that's why i like starfinder and he laughed i mean he seemed totally normal like basically his usual self even right up to when we left me and the missus were waiting for our taxi and he was there talking to us about his deadlands game and he was running it that night while we were downstairs we could hear him throughout the night he was just normal so that's fatty's statement this doesn't seem consistent with the manner in which q said that the husband died right well, i feel like we should lighten things up for a minute here james tell a joke um you know when i speak to my spanish friends i use the word mucho because it means a lot to them <laughs> hey <laughs> That's good. We should just end it there, man. That's good. Uh, right, so another pair of statements come from a husband and wife who also attended the store once a week for about a year. This husband and wife were called Grey Fox and Grey Wolf. Uh, were upstairs, actually, in the room adjacent to where the Deadlands game took place. Now, Fox mentioned that he didn't notice anything off about the husband, and he's basically doing the same boring statement we heard a minute ago, but he reports roughly the same type of thing as Fatty, except for one detail. He mentions that Q was not at the Deadlands game the past two weeks, and he had never previously seen her absent. Grey Wolf essentially just confirmed everything that she uh, that he said, and, you know, uh, some, some of us have met her, and uh, she's uh, very quiet. And, uh, but anyway, let's talk hypotheticals for a minute, right, James? Let's just, this and all of this, right, this is pure speculation, alleged, none of this is true. But let's just talk hypotheticals for a second, right? So uh, let's say you want to poison your husband, right? And you just got the typical type of poison, right? The cliche poison that everyone uses in films, which is widely, widely available. There are, uh, I mean, like, for example, James, if you're watching something, in fact, it happens in Kill Bill, but, like, you know, there's, like, the typical type of poison that you might find in somebody's house. Yeah, rat poison. All right. So, like, let's just say you're you're, you're thinking, oh, I want to poison, oh, I want to poison my husband. They, the only type of sort of widely available poison is literally that. And uh, it, uh, I've lost my place in my notes, I'm going to be honest with you, James. <laughs> uh, but, yeah... Um, because there are a couple of inconsistencies, right, when it comes to the old paracetamol theory. But arsenic, arsenic, which is current, current, is commonly found in rat poison. It causes bloody vomiting in large and extreme quantities, along with bloody diarrhea in much the same fashion and uh, bloody urine. And it does so quickly, especially when consumed directly by eating it, which is also, you know, the cliche way that you might poison someone. She's made you a nice uh, casserole there. What does it taste weird? Yeah. Don't ask questions. Ingest this. <laughs> Could you please ingest it and stop asking so many questions, please? So, um, yeah, I mean, but otherwise it's pretty slow. I mean, uh, if she, for example, 
put it into uh, into his soap. But that'd just be irritating, wouldn't it? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but yeah, if you ingest it right, depending on the quantity, you've usually got about thirty minutes to live. And the manner of death is essentially what allegedly, you know, happened to the husband. Like what Cipher came in that morning and saw. That's typical with rat poison, right? And uh, if you have you ever seen the film The Hate for Late? Yeah. Right. You remember when she gets poisoned? Um. So that that is it's going to cause a similar reaction to that, and another possibility, right, includes a drug called wafarin, wafarin, which basically is a blood thinning thing, right, which is also found in rat poison, uh, and causes that reaction, right, which is likely the poison that was used in the hateful eight film, right. Uh, so yeah, blood chunder basically. Uh, so you know all i'm saying is is rat poison is the literal cliche of poisoning your husband that we see in books and tv and all of this and it's worth noting that other available rat poisons contain strychnine which could could produce a similar reaction although it'd be far less likely and although for sale right now in the uk and i googled this i'm definitely on some sort of list now because of this but uh yeah there's a wafer in uh, based poison the blood thinning one uh for rats which is available for the low price of a tenner for 100 grams from any garden store basically wow or any home store. So basically, watch it, James. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. You're great. <laughs> I know. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, completely unrelated, but I've made you a casserole. Uh, I'm going to drop it off later. Could you please ingest it? Um, yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, so um, that's just wild speculation. Right? That's wild. It's all alleged. But I'm just saying, right, the the it's just funny how it's, it's it's very coincidental right I have no proof of any of that but it's very coincidental that that should be the manner and death of which he died and also the, the, the fact that the paracetamol thing doesn't really add up whereas if you put this here but it might just you know be confirmation bias but if you if you think of it in terms of rat poison all of it kind of makes a lot more sense but let's talk about motive and the husband himself because as everyone who met the husband will attest to, he's a bit of a dick, right? We know this. I know you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but he was, right? And he, I'm sure he had a lot of friends that really respected him and loved him. But, and I don't mean bad person. I just mean a bit of a, a bit of a knob, right? But Cipher, for example, said the following. He was just a bit socially blind. Like, he would just say whatever comes to his mind at any given moment. And if that happened to be something offensive, then he just didn't care which is 100% true. Grey Wolf, who almost said, who almost never said anything, right? Uh, uh, even at the D&D games that we played together. She says, uh, yeah, he was part of the reason I was hating the D&D game. Every time we went in, we had to pay five pounds for that night's game. And every single time he'd make some dickish comment about our game. So I asked Grey Wolf, uh, like what? And she replied, well, there was three people in the game that can't have been older than 15. And you, he used to refer to our game as the crash and always and always asked when we would move on to a proper game. This was kind of annoying because me and Fox were paying to be there and playing D&D. And he always had this attitude like he looked down on us. Now, I do find that wow. funny. For those that don't know, uh, crash is like a UK word for like a nursery where you can drop off your kids for the day. So... It's a, I mean, it was honestly embarrassing. Like, I saw some of the other games going on. We're sitting there to, to like three or four 15 year olds all talking over constantly. But anyway, yeah. 
But Fatty, he had a slightly different opinion. He says, yeah, I mean, he had a habit of talking down to people, but I actually think he was a pretty nice guy. This was his kind of way of playfully mocking people, but he really did it to everyone. Um, and I think the trouble is he went to, he also did it to people he had only just met. Really, he liked people being in a shop and playing games. I think, anyway. So yeah, I, I mean, think, uh, anyway. but here's the thing, right? I'm not suggesting for a second, right, that being a dick is enough reason for somebody to die. But, you know, we've had experiences with, I don't think you have as much as more you've dealt with Q, but the few times I've met him, he's been so elitist. And I've given examples on this podcast. And, you know, being a dick isn't enough reason to die. But what, why I'm mentioning this and why I'm including these statements from other people in here is if you'll allow me a bit of wild speculation, again, right? If he was openly abrasive in public to people who were just directly supporting his life, right? It's not a huge leap of faith to think that maybe he was a bit more of an arsehole behind the scenes. But of course, mm, like... Yeah. But there's no evidence to support that, right? We don't know. He was probably just like that all the time. Let's be fucking honest. But who knows? Who knows? But he was just a mild dick. I don't think that's any reason like, or a real motive. But like, I'm just saying it's possible that behind the scenes he was a bit more of a knob. You know, we will never know. Because there are details about that relationship that will remain only with those two people and maybe their kids, who I probably should have interviewed, but probably not. Definitely not. Um, but one uh, other odd detail that may or may not be linked to any of this, remember Bucket, right? The third guy. Yeah. <clears throat> after the death of the husband, I visited the shop two days after, in fact. And in the back, where the husband would usually be sat painting the minis, was Bucket. With a lot less hair, a lot more wrinkles, and sat up uh, painting some Deadlands scenery. And that's probably just a coincidence, but it's just a detail I thought worth mentioning. And the last piece of info is that also, maybe a coincidence, but she took over the husband's decade-long Deadlands campaign and is now the sole GM. She plays every Wednesday when the RPG night occurs in the shop and always gets a Chinese from the shop next door, which is deeply inconsiderate because it fucking stinks. Now, I'm not suggesting, right, for a second that she killed him to get his campaign off him to finally get a chance to fucking DM after 10 years, but it does make it a bit more of a juicy story. So that's my theory. No. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, imagine if the top... Bang in some free Chinese, maybe. Maybe that's where she sold the body! (laughs) (laughs) What we need to do now is try and draw this murder investigation to some sort of conclusion and discuss the odd circumstances surrounding it all. So this is all the information we have, right? You can't deny that it's suspicious. You can't deny that the Chinese next door has had quite a lot more meat than usual and has been doing bigger portions. And yeah, like like a lot of parts of it don't necessarily add up in the way that she has told it. Well, so I I think I think there are two possibilities, right? And and James, I'll I'll let you come up with your own in a second as well. I think it's it's one of two things, right? It's either she did do it, right, and there is some sort of you know underhandedness and poisoning going on here. Or the manner of his death was perhaps more embarrassing to her and her family that she has made a convenient current uh, like cover story involving you know uh, something that they all knew about. It could be something you know stupider, dumb, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And that she's just gone for this convenient explanation because she doesn't want to keep answering the fucking questions. Oh, he died of paracetamol addiction. Do you know what I mean? Like something like that. I don't know. 
it does kind of though when you when you factor in the fact that Cypher was so open about the lot of it, right, and the other people had noticed uh, significant differences in stories. Like it's like, you know, I don't know. We can't say for definite, but I'm saying those are my two possibilities, and I'm I'm putting those out there. That's what I think happened. Either one of those two things. Or it was a complete fluke of medical and circumstance and all of this. And he died. Nobody noticed. And uh, it, it, was, it could have just been that. It could have been. It is, it is possible, but less probable than anything else. But yeah, James, what do you think? So I think it's interesting that um, by the sounds of it, other people have uh, come to their own conclusions. But again, it's one of those things where if I leave my scepticism aside, it could just be a case of Chinese whispers or it could just be the type of people revel in fantasy um, and therefore creating a story like this is fun. Well, well, this um, this is um, just puts... a very good point because there is, there is the idea that uh, Cypher was very open about speaking about it and there there is the possibility, if we really dag dag deep into it right is this a possibility that he was exaggerating because everyone does that so many people exaggerate stories to make them more entertaining and it could have just been that he found him having chundered a small amount of blood and he i don't know yeah whatever but yeah you're right anyway carry on sorry yeah so I i feel like it could be sort of i don't really know it could be so many manner of things it's interesting you know learning about how the husband perished and the fact that Q described it in such a way that she could never have known um, because if she was out you know said oh screaming and all that it's like well that's not a fact the only the only thing I could possibly think of was that um, she saw it on CCTV right but the only and and like maybe heard it right because the only trouble was is that, that she was home that day, but then she still could have had a chance to look at it on the CCTV. So that could have been how she knew. But I'm not... Yeah, but that would have been part of the explanation. If I saw a death on the CCTV and then I described it, I'd be like, yeah, like they died like this um, and it was horrible. I wouldn't have liked to have been there, but I saw it on the camera. Yeah, and as... I, That would be always be in the And story. as far as, you know, Cypher's information was second hand we're learning what she said from him right but yeah like you say that that wasn't mentioned in there and you'd you'd imagine that would be kind of an important part of it yeah i feel like it's quite important because you would go because because i think i would open up with that i'd be like oh yeah i watched the cctv because i was so shocked or i watched the cctv and this do you know what i mean you wouldn't go you wouldn't just start with oh yeah he was screaming blood up the walls and like then then be like I saw it on the CCD, like you, nobody would say in, in that order, right? I don't know. But it's like, it's like you say, there's there's an odd set of circumstances which definitely, I, I think, should have been more investigated, possibly, right? But we don't, but that's that's just it. But I can't say definitively that she did it, but there is, there is a possibility that something underhanded happened, but then there's also a possibility that a freak medical thing happened. And as a doctor once told me, he said, you know, the the rare things happen all the time because there's so many of them. Yeah. Right. And and 
a lot of people, right, who have like you know uh, one in a million diseases or things like this, or the the chances of something bizarre happening to them do happen to them. It's like, well, yeah, but there is there's a million, you know, million and one things that could happen to you at any point. So it's probably one of them is going to happen to you, and that that could have been what happened to the guy. It it isn't really consistent medically, but then if he did have an addiction, his liver was probably quite goofed up. But I don't know. It, it it's just it doesn't seem likely that that was the explanation. But it, it, but it, you know, like I said, it could be exaggerated. It's annoying. I don't think we'll ever really get to the bottom of it. But uh. the thing is, if you apply just sound logic, then it don't make sense. But the point in all of this is that there is definitely the potential that logic doesn't play a part in it because it's meant to be like it could be a rare experience or uh, yeah, a set of coincidences that. Yeah, yeah, yep. and and, that, and that's just it. Like you, you, you don't fucking know. And at the end of the day, it's it's an interesting story, right? And the whole, all of the circumstances surrounding it are very interesting. And in fact, I would like to hear listeners' theories on it, right? But the but the truth of it is, we can't say one way or the other. I I just think, I mean, really, really, if we were paying proper journalists here, we should have interviewed her as well. But I didn't. I'm I I am sort of banking on the fact that she would never listen to this. Because she doesn't exist. We've given our theories uh, about it. We don't think necessarily that the story that we're being told stands up to logic, but it could have happened. But also, in conclusion, it's not probable, but I don't think we have enough details to say conclusively, Your Honour, that there was a murder. (laughs) No, um, and it's, yeah, it could be a set of coincidences, could be some Chinese whispers, some over-dramatising stories i mean even even this review could be slightly biased because we want to believe in a, a certain well, thing well that, that i i was you trying know? throughout writing it to avoid that that's why i included everyone's statements even yeah. though they were quite long and boring i had to include the lot because i didn't want to cherry pick it to sort of push a certain theory th- forward because otherwise you know you but you know the only reason that this was interesting to me in the first place was because there is it is open to theorizing it doesn't necessarily mean I, I believe in it one way. But when we were discussing doing this episode, and it's been like a big back and forth between me and you, James, because we were like, should we do this? Is this wrong? No, we should. Yeah. But then I, sa- I said to you, there is a reason why I think we can. And it's because it's, and it, it, the reason is because it's not conclusive. I'm not actively saying that she did anything. I'm just saying there are circumstances that make it seem as if something may have gone underhanded. But I'm not saying she did. Well, it does create, you know, it does make the uh, the, the mind cogs were, which is uh, the whole point, really. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's what we've always done on this podcast, to get people thinking. That's why we talk about dicks and things so often. Not because we're gay. No. Because we are, no, right? No, but no. But that doesn't mean... No, mate. No, I'm not gay. All right. See the game the other night. The gay... <laughs> All right, let's do electro letters. In the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the electro letter. So yeah, this is uh, Electro Letters Super Crazy 100 edition. Oh yeah! <laughs> All right, first one comes in from it's actually Electro Letters, but the the big twist is it's going to be exactly the same as all the other 100 ones. Kill defenses. He says, "What's the best system you've ever used for role playing a heist scenario?" I hear good thing about Blades in the Dark, but wonder what else is out there. 
So Blades in the Dark is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. So it uses roughly the same system as Root, which I imagine would be good for a heist game. Um, because Root, uh, you play Vagabonds and thieving types. So yeah, I reckon that'd be awesome. Uh, but yeah, Wise Guys basically is the one. They do this cool thing where you, when you do a heist, you can do it as an, you basically do it as a dramatic task. But you all do prep rolls to earn bennies, which you can spend during that dramatic task. So uh, bennies are reroll tokens. So you can't spend your normal bennies. But each person gets an action. If they get success and then a raise, you get to, you get more tokens to basically reroll during the heist. And you can do flashbacks during the heist as your action as well. So let's say. I don't know, typical one is like you uh, get to the security door and you've already swiped a security guy's um, tag. But you didn't actually do that in your action, but you spend the Benny, you go up to the door and you go, right, flashback, cuts to me pick pickpocketing this cunt, taking it and then beep, and then getting in kind of thing. It's like, I don't know, it's very, very good the way it streamlines it. Everyone gets a prep roll, they say what they want to do, and then they're dealing with the situation at hand with the prep rolls that they've done. I, I just think it's perfect. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. I like. I do like the flashback ability, and of course, at any point, the GM can say, no, you can't have that. Because, you know, yeah. you can't just be like, oh yeah, so basically I win. I flashback, and then I know yeah. the answer because well, I win. No, well, you could do... Well, you're always rolling for it anyway. Yeah. But like, let's say you, you go, oh yeah, I want to... I called up my buddy in the RAF, and he drops me out of his plane, and I parachute into the chimney and into the vault. Why does the vault have a chimney? Don't... You know, you know it's not happening. But um, yeah, Wise Guys is basically the one, and you can do a heist in sort of at most half an hour, but usually about 15 minutes, which is pretty fucking good. Um, it's good for those like quick, cool scenes. Because whenever you see the, sorry, go on. I was gonna say I do really like the prep rolls because um, it really makes you properly plan it out much better than um, like other situations because you know that your preparation is actually going to feed into the heist itself. Um, it means that you have to really choose carefully, plan carefully, and understand that. Uh, all of your preparation is going to be the thing that basically decides whether or not you'll be good at it or not. Yeah, exactly. Because the better prepared you are, the better you're going to do. I mean, it's like, so uh, a good example could be like, oh, I want to scope the joint out, right? I mean, that's like the basic one, right? So you do it, you can do it as a notice or a security role or, you know, a stealth to go in and look at things or... Uh, you could do it as a repair role because you are, you know, looking for where cameras are or whatever. And so it's kind of that thing. And then, and like, you know, you get to use your best skills for the job, do all this prep, and it, it just cuts it down. Because when you watch a heist movie, right, all the prep and stuff like this, like, I don't know, it's a shit example, but like, say Ocean's Eleven, right? The, a lot of the prep roles are, are sort of the film, but it's like them trying to source a bomb, them coming up with plans, things like this. But then the actual heist, what is it, like 10 minutes of the film? I don't know. It's short anyway, right? Yep. So it's like, and Wise Guys really emulates that film. I would definitely go for that. And it's kind of emulatable in other systems as well, but I'd say check it out. Uh, I think they've got three quick kickstart rules that include uh, the heist rules. I may be wrong about that. hope I'm not. But anyway, next one comes in from Casa3112. Hey, guys, what was the song you used for that outro in the con bonus episode? Love your work. Now, I try... Lean in here, listeners. I do very much try not to use licensed music without the artist's permission. And uh, good thing is, uh, obviously, I know Kate Tempest. Uh, me and her are very good friends. Go way back. 
I was I happened to be listening to that song at the time, and I am a massive fan of his work. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, the song is Martial Law from the album Everybody Down, uh, which is a concept album, a rap album, which tells a story from beginning to end, which is like a um, uh, like a Guy Ritchie movie, and it's fucking awesome. So I'd, I'd recommend listening to the whole album, but you've got to listen to the whole thing. And that's, the, that's track one anyway, so it's pretty good. Uh, he says, love your work. Thank He's you. He's a liar. Uh, <laughs> Monkey Goat, Robert, he says, if you had, a, had to choose between the body of a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old, where would you keep it? What? Where would you keep the body? Probably in the Chinese next door. <laughs> uh, I pur- He says, I purchased a bundle of holding for Troika a few years ago. I don't think I have had done enough drugs to play it. Have you ever found a game that was just too strange for you to want to attempt it? Not Fatal. No one has ever taken enough drugs to play Fatal. So yeah, a game that was too weird for you to want to try it. Um, well, because you've always been very up for playing anything, really. Yeah, to be honest, I'm I'm quite open to try anything. Um, I will say that if there's... I don't know. I don't. The only sort of weirdness that could stop me from playing a game if there's like lapability involved. If you actually have to do certain actions, I'd be like, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but if so, it's all sort of fantasy, I mean, I could do a one shot of anything just to yeah, experience yeah, exactly, it, no exactly. matter how fucked up it is. <clears throat> you try try anything. I mean, and the thing is, like when we talk about weird, I, I mean, this is um, <clears throat> an idea I wanted to do for another episode of this podcast. But Planescape is a setting I am absolutely in love with, but it's just too complicated to I, I to actually run in a lot of ways. Like it's so interesting and so brilliantly done. But the thing about it is, is that it is it is it is a fucking complex setting, right? And yeah, I wanted to do a, an episode called Planescape is amazing and you shouldn't play it um, for that very reason because it's just it's <laughs> so good. But the, but the thing is like because it's. I mean, you have such great concepts in there, like planets dedicated or, or, or uh, planes of existence dedicated to entire alignments, right? That if they shift, they get closer to others. So it might take you 20 minutes to walk there one day and then it might take you 10 years, like the next day, because the the, the planes are always shifting around. And like, I don't know, it's just, it's such a fucking cool setting where it's like all gods exist and they they all exist in the same universe. And it's like, well, not actually the same universe, but in a multiverse. It's, uh, it's fucking awesome, but it's just too it complex is, to play. Is, you yeah. really have to... If all the players have read it and know it, that's when you can run it. But it's, it's just too weird. That's the it's trouble. It's difficult to get any players, really, to read up on that kind of thing. But even... I I say you particularly, you could run a longer or more complicated campaign, because I know we, um, we, we did... Uh, sort of touch upon the whole Planescape situation in the uh, Troika yeah well I think it needs I think it needs to be long for in order for you to get it but there are so many tiny systems that are integral to the way the world works that are great fun for players but there's so many of them and but they're so cool you know, like like uh, the one I've already mentioned, and then in Sigil, where you have the city of doors, and it's like anything can be a key, and any archway can be a door. Anything door shaped can be a door. Like it's like weird shit like that, and it's I don't know. It's too. It's it's good, but it's complicated and weird. But it's beautiful in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, that and Fatal. But I'm gonna play yeah. it. 
Uh, Griffiana, he or sh well, they say, so I hear you guys like a little crunch in your games. What about it is appealing compared to extremes on either side? Rules absent versus literally impossible to co comprehend math. Uh, yeah, I mean, because I, I, it depends on the mood, doesn't it? Sometimes you want a combat simulation, sometimes you want something cinematic. I don't understand people that only like it one way, because it's like, you know, sometimes... You, you, let's let's just talk about action movies. Sometimes you want something gritty, realistic, or believable, right? But then sometimes you just want crank too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it does depend on the setting, the mood, and like the, the players around the table. Because you know, even one session, um, you know, you commented afterwards. And you're like, oh, sorry, guys, it was pure. Uh, it was just basically one um, battle. I think that was um, cyberpunk. But we all loved it and it was just like yeah you know even Sean was like yeah I think we needed that because yeah, we yeah. just needed something that was just hard fast deadly um, and really just absorbed us in the chaos that was going around us because it drew all of our attention all of us had to be you know quick thinking and and decisive on every move that we did um, but and it's also like you, you get to the point where Sometimes the mechanics can be with the type of fun that you're you're after, you know, like because it's the strategy of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, cinematic games are great, obviously, but like in Cyberpunk, for example, like you knowing that say that guy's that that firing at full auto does um, five d six damage, right? And you're behind a piece of cover that has ten HP, right? So you're then thinking in your head, well you know these two rules. I I know that if he destroys the cover, which is quite possible with five d six. So I might run to hide behind that car instead, or whatever. Like, like just little things like that. And then you've got, you know, all of this realistic firearms rule. I think in the case of Cyberpunk, it kind of adds a layer of immersion to it because you're kind of thinking, well, this is—he's done his research here, and it feels like a real gunfight. And then it's like, but then sometimes you decide, ah, fuck the rules. I don't want to fight. I just want to have a game where we just, you know, fuck around and or, or like do a lot of role play and where fighting is not the focus. So yeah, I mean, it all, it all depends really. But there are some games that are so light they annoy me. Um, but then before I played it and bought it, Mork Borg was that. I, I was like, well, what the fuck? There's barely any rules, but I actually really like it. So yeah, um, yeah. But it just depends on what mood we're in, isn't it? I mean, that's why we're having, playing a game of Root now, because we want a break from Savage Worlds, which is sort of medium on crunch. But it's like, the we, we just want to play something different as a palate cleanser before we get back into Savage Worlds playing Savage Pathfinder. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I don't like completely absent rules, although I still need to come out with that free role-playing book, which is like just blank pages. Um, Barkle the Infamous, he says, if you had 234 quid to spare, would you buy an Invisible Sun? No. Timo, he says, was tipped off to your show by my mate and brilliant group GM, Mr. Stag, currently burning through the backlog. Oh, please don't. Um, uh, loving the pod and the tunes. Oh, no. I've made a rod for my own back. Um, uh, with a DCC character, Sickly Pablo, who sings a little song almost every session. This was initially a response to F play to another player's hatred for poetry and song in fantasy, but I think they've all come to tolerate it. Any tips for churning out heavy hit after heavy hit, or should I knock it off? I'm running out of synonyms for poo. Now this is a, <laughs> now, now this guy, he's he's a man after my own heart. So or woman, let's have a look. What's the name? T uh, I don't know. Yeah, but let's be honest, man. Um, right. So. Uh, 
coming up with songs on the fly, we've done it for a while. Now, here's what I would say, right? And this is a technique. If you've ever got players that are late, right? Just go on the WhatsApp group that you clearly have and uh, turn the microphone on. Say to James, because he was there, obviously, get the guitar and you sing a song about them being late. Practice is the way. Because we used to do that to Nick. We used to send him, he was late every fucking game and we would send him <laughs> send him songs, of improvised songs of us playing the guitar. We had James's daughter doing like a drum beat on the table. We had everyone sort of clapping along and then we'd just be like, why are you late? Singing it into the mic. And then, in addition to that, we'd re- notice Nick listening to them while he was driving and responding and then send him a song telling him to concentrate on driving. So, yeah. That's a good way of practicing, I suppose. I don't know. I just wanted to tell that. But uh, yeah, improvising songs, James. You got. I mean, they've got to be funny, right? They've got to be. I, I think um, uh, it's it's quite fun because we've done it a lot of times. Um, is literally just be put on the spot. Have to yeah. think straight away. Therefore, you have no chance of preparation. Yeah, because it, um, it is you almost just have to slash it straight away. Yeah, because it is almost funnier when somebody's when it's awkward. And somebody's trying to get like remember Sean played a musician for about five minutes in the Deadlands campaign before he died, and uh, he was he did that song uh, everybody gather around we save the town, and that was pretty funny. Yeah, and yeah, also, but sometimes you get little golden nuggets like that. That was a good one. It was quite catchy. And also in uh, when we played old school essentials and you played a bard, and oh, yeah, uh, James learn all he did was learn like four chords, the, like the main four chords on a u- ukulele. And we'll play it and then sing improvised songs. But obviously you were singing because they were your spells, right? And so yeah. I, I remember one, it sounded like an old sort of like reggae tune. You were like, I shine the light when you were doing a light spell. <laughs> Fucking beautiful. I would say, yeah, if, if you want tips for making like a good song on the fly, uh, I feel like watch Mark Ribier on YouTube, right? Oh, yeah. Because I know, I know he's a bit of a genius and obviously has like a lot of talent for it. His whole thing is he improvises songs, right? But the thing is, what he does is he... And, you know, maybe this is too serious of an answer for what is ultimately a stupid question, but he basically never breaks his flow. Like, he never worries about the lyrics rhyming and he just properly goes for it, never break... That's what you've got to do, man. And he goes weird. Like, there's no two ways about it. He goes very weird. Often he's just in a dressing gown in his boxes and he's gyrating as he's singing about fucking Blackbeard, stealing all your shit and stuff like this. So um, he's the guy that did that song, uh, There's Too Many People Getting Raped Now. There's Too Many People Getting Raped, y'all. That one. But yeah, watch Absolute him. Absolute tune. Yeah, because he just... He, he gives it he gives it the, the proper good and you've really got to, like... You can't... If you're doing a song at a and d game... You can't, you can't do it fifty percent. You've got to go hard. You're playing a character, so just go mental at it. All right. Uh, as as for synonyms for poo, uh, have you dive, have you dived into the wonderful world of piss? Because that could be a good direction to take your musical career. Yes, any kind of excretion, actually. Yeah, and That'll if you're work. a gnome as well, I don't know. You can probably get a lot of use out of the fact that we uh, means small and and piss and games console right you're welcome thank you i will i will accept gifts uh illicit he says my my co-worker agreed to try cock uh no call of cthulhu and i'm getting a group session together uh and i'm getting a group together for a monthly session any tips on setting the mood for a horror game or in general 
yeah, I mean, you've got to go good music, right? You've got to get some sort of jazz noir shit going on, some, like, horror music, right? Uh, yeah, there's also some, you know, like the creepy sounds in the background where it's kind of just a low rumble or something just to give more atmosphere. You want you want a good bit of bass going on. Yeah, and maybe something subtle as well. Like, I remember one of the scariest moments in my entire life, being that I'm already scared of dark, was when I was on a camping trip with school and uh, we could hear, like, voices, right? So pitch black in the fucking woods we could hear voices coming from somewhere and we were just like what the fuck is that noise and all of us like terrified and we could just hear this light and everyone was like shut up shut up shut up sort of listen out we can hear this talking um and we were shitting ourselves it turns out one of the people in our tent had turned his um uh radio on in his bag by accident because that was the time we were living in ladies and gentlemen and uh, it was on very low volume so we could hear the chatter so i say put the music on a very obvious device on something very low, just put something slightly unnerving and set unsettling, like a low bass tone or chattering or just, you know, one of those generic YouTube videos of eight hours of horrific sounds, you know, like wo- wailing and moaning and chains. and But just have it very low, do the job. That's like. a really good idea. But um, additionally, I, I heard from a guy once who, who ran a lot of Call of Cthulhu that he would skulk around the table, sort of. So he would stand when he's GMing. But we'd, we'd also do things really suddenly. Like, you'd get around to the side of the table and go, and then you feel something up your bum. Or whatever, you know, like, something good. Something not what I just said. You know what I mean? But, yeah. That's uh, quite a good idea, yeah. I was Literal a, shock. But some things you could actually do. Uh, when you're pointing to people for when their turn is on, just have a big knife in your hand. Oh, yeah. Or gun. Loaded. Loaded gun, right? And just sort of you pass it from hand to hand, tap it on the table, just all sorts of shit that might set it off. Um, yeah, that'll certainly... But yeah, I, I think there's some actual good ones and some actual bad ones there. But uh, also, I'd, I'd just recommend, like, decent descriptions are really, really powerful in, in Call of Cthulhu specifically. Like, Yeah, you, you've got the descriptors and, have to be on point. Yeah, and deliver it in kind of a horrific way. And also play on the fears of your players. That's something I like to do. Uh, and in fact, there was a, a mission, unused mission in Deadlands where you were going to fight loads of spiders and it was going to be a big spider base thing because I know you're scared of them, James. Oh, yeah, that would have been gross. So thanks for uh, us not doing that. All right. Uh, but yeah, do that. or do all of that. End of. Big York Rex with a Kung Fu grip. He says, 100 episodes down. Where do you see yourselves heading for the next 100? Uh, Probably down the toilet, to be honest. How dare you? We've worked so hard on this. Probably down the toilet, to be honest. You fucking... I'm going to fucking kill you. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to start doing some, some new stuff. I want to start, I'd start doing more video stuff. But then, at the end of the day, I can't really be fucking bothered. And, but, I would like to do... Like, I don't want to... Now listen, right? I know I'm going to sound like a hypocrite. I would like to do some live streams. But I don't necessarily think of games because i don't think that's very fun to watch and i it's not my cup of tea at all but i was thinking maybe doing like live streams of planning campaigns drawing maps things like this and like trying to show our creative process all three of us kind of thing do you know what i mean that'd be fun yeah we could choose to potentially branch out in in that kind of area i will say that i feel like because of how we how we generally do stuff if we did live stream prep 
scenes or one shots or anything like that which we i'm sure we've promised over the episodes um then they would be really infrequent <laughs> so don't get your hopes up <laughs> that's a fact that is a fucking fact we can say that so when he says right, like where do you see yourselves heading for the next 100 it's like probably one of those one episode of that and then never again and then we'll do a live stream realize it was a bit rubbish and not do it again but um well, yeah. i feel like um there's a lot of uh there's so much that's ever evolving in this hobby um, that we're just going to just basically try and do the same thing. Try and keep, you know, the listeners at heart. Um, I feel like uh, actual plays, they will be uh, restarting and I feel like we'll be nursing them a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to kind of get to episode 100 and then start the next actual play. And I, I'm just not sure about which one to do because I've got a great idea for a Langmar one, but I've been wanting to do a follow-up to Dirt Boy Blues for ages and do a series two, which would be a lot of fun. So I don't know. I mean, I, it depends. And yeah, we are going to do them more regularly. I mean, I was kind of waiting for a period in my life where it would be easier, uh, but I just I just don't think that's going to happen. And so I'm just going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that really is it. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure necessarily where we're going to go but like you say everything's always evolving and new ideas for episodes are always going to be there because you know shit just keeps happening new shit comes out it's funny uh we, we learn about some old shit that's funny so yeah i don't know there's 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 a lot of things i would love to do some live streams just maybe like even ones where we come up with a setting and you know i use it and play playing that setting with you guys and then maybe the listeners can make suggestions and things like this so we can sort of spitball stuff together that'd be a lot of fun because I know, I know for a short while I, I did the Resident Evil streams which are basically so unrelated to anything else we do um, but but like it was a lot of fun actually interacting with a lot of the people uh, like face to face while doing something so maybe the, the live stream thing would be a good one yeah, yeah. next yeah. question uh, Big York he says uh, running games for children is it something you've done or are wanting to do and which court orders make it impossible uh, for which members of the group <laughs> I feel like we well, have said before, like if anyone of our group was to be a sex offender, it'd probably be Ryan, and I wouldn't, oh, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he already has. Um, but uh, yeah, running games to kids. I've ran games for your children. Yeah, all eight of them. <laughs> no, James has one uh, children, and yeah, I've run. For, but then she was like basically a teenager at that point, uh, so no, I haven't really, and I would like to. Like, I, I would really like to, because I've heard a lot of good things about doing it. Uh, but I don't know. I find there's a lot of stuff on the market at the moment that's like really patronising shit that's marketed to kids. You know, like whereas back in the eighties and that, children just played D and D. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I don't know. It's something I would like to do, but I don't know any children. That's the trouble. So, yeah, that's, and um, getting to know children is quite difficult yeah. because uh, the court orders make it so. <laughs> and also, I feel like I'd, I'd like to sort of do stuff like that, but more from the. I don't really know. It's like it's fun to do as if you had a group of friends who all had kids, and all those kids were of a similar age. Running it for them would be cool. But to turn up to like a school or a youth centre and then be like, hi, yeah, I'm just going to run like uh, some D&D for these five-year-olds, I feel like that would be a lot more difficult. I reckon you get a lot of traction with that, though. And I, I it was because it, so I know somebody that's a scout leader. He's so he's looks after kids a lot. And I he's, he also cuts my hair. So I've been speaking to him for a while about like doing something like that. 
and I was considering, you know, just saying, okay, yeah, we're playing D&D specifically, right? But then just playing, you know, any version of it. So ICRPG was pretty much the front runner. Um, and yeah, I would like to do that. But I reckon, like, if you did do a youth center or scouts or things like this, you'd probably get a lot more traction than you'd think. But it was like, as soon as I came up with this idea and also bought a lot of materials for it, like had a lot of ICRPG stuff, like professionally printed, uh, that's when I had a son. So that idea sort of <laughs> fell into the shitter. So well, I've still got all that stuff. I don't know. I might, I might end up doing it. But what was annoying was I printed all the character sheets. Like, you know how I did for Root, where I got them printed on like really nice oh, card. Oh, yeah. I did that for ICRPG, but it was second edition. Then Master Edition came out, and now the character sheet's different. So it's like, well, that's annoying. But yeah, it was something I would like to do, uh, but it's probably not going to happen. Not for a while, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So Banjo, he says, what spirit animal represents each of you? Which spirit animal represents the show? Oh, that's a good one, man. That's okay. a good one. So James, probably like uh, like a dirty like pig. Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. Or like a really, um, a really, really large rooster. Because you're a cock. Yeah. A big nice. one. No, but I think I think you've got quite chaotic energy, especially when you're drunk. So I I would say I would say that you're a bit of like, bit of like a cat, because I think that you have pretty much two modes. It's either like subdued, or you know when they go mental and they're just rolling around and legging it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think, honestly. <laughs> uh, what animal do you give me? And if you say anything offensive, remember how fragile my emotions are. Okay, I reckon uh... you bastard. No, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I reckon um, some kind of um, some kind of mole, but not blind. Well, because I don't like to go outside. Yeah, don't like to go outside, but you do like to plan because obviously you're a main GM. So there is that because obviously they're very because they're underground. They've probably got a lot of time. You know, they're they're reading with their braille books because they're blind. Um, nice. So do a lot of prep, but then like when they go out and they sort of find themselves in a scary situation, they're a bit scuttery. I think you're a bit Yeah, I'm a very anxious person. Yeah. Very, very anxious. I mean, um, so, but you know moles only come out of the ground when they die, right? So you're saying that I only go out to die. That's quite true, actually, because I feel like I want to die every time I interact with someone. <laughs> every time we meet up, people are like, going, like, I just want to die. Yeah, that's, that's me, right? But, um, yeah, that's quite accurate, actually. But as for the show... I, I don't know, man. It's a bit weird. Like I, I think, and I've said this. This is a bit, little bit cringe, but I've said this outside of the podcast. And I think if if this podcast has a single uh, sort of um, united theme, it's sort of learning and evolving in and in, in terms of taste and technique, right? That's what I think. But obviously, it's mostly about us being idiots. Uh, so, what's like a smart animal that is an idiot? A dolphin. There we go. Dolphin. <laughs> yeah, it's like a dolphin. Like, or a dog hanging its head out of a window going along in a car. Uh, the last question comes in from Lassie. He says, puns, yay or nay? Right? Yay. Okay, he says, share some of the best RPG ones you know. Um, Get Ogre It is probably quite a good one. That's uh, quite good, yeah. Comes up a lot. Uh, one of my favourites, right? <clears throat> um... Now, I can't remember the exact law behind it, but in D&D, there's this race of sort of like frog-type men called Yuan-Ti, and they are 
I think what it is is they like the original race that populated the D&D world. But it's like, how does a frogman ask if you want a drink? And it's, you want tea? You want tea? <laughs> it's not good. And it also requires quite a lot of explanation. But there, there you go. That's what it is. But yeah, get over it. Ask her on a D8. That's a good one. Uh, um, well, how about our names are pretty good in Root. Yeah, well, yeah, but they're not. Uh, but it's well, is it a pun though? What's no. a pun? No, because like Trashton is just a good name for a root character. Uh, yeah, I mean that's it really. I mean, get over. But like Goblin comes up a lot. Like she's Goblin Macock or whatever. Like when you're fighting goblins or uh, yeah, something like that. I don't know really. I've kind. Of, I don't think there's there, like puns. I mean, there are, like puns are obviously good, right? Because we played all pun-based characters in TMNT. Uh, and for like Albert Einstein, uh, Hugh Jackman, you know that was fun. And one of the one of the ones that we were gonna be was uh, was it Christina a gorilla? <laughs> that, that was one of the that worst. Was, ones. That was so arduous, wasn't it? Ten, ten yeah, hell yeah. tenuous. Sorry. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it was both really. Let's be honest. But the uh, Quacky Chan as well. Chris, Qu- what was it? Chris Ducker. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Actually, yeah, they a whole duck-based fucking uh, group. That that would have been awesome. Sean was talking to me about Root the other day, right? And <laughs> uh, it was like just before we started to play it, and he was like, "I said, right, it's not a place where you can really have joke characters that are made to be a joke. Do you know what I mean? Because there's there are naming conventions, and there's sort of options on each character sheet that you can pick and he's like but why in tmnt did everyone have pun names i was like well because you didn't expressly tell them not to and he's like i did but the thing <laughs> is what sean did it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like right no pun names it was just like like yeah you can do it if, if you want you know but like i'd rather you didn't you know and it's like yeah no if you're if you just tell people as soon no, as you say rather you didn't you just be like yeah cool we're gonna do it then <laughs> but the characters were good, though. To be fair, with the exception of maybe Hugh Jackman, but like, uh, no, he he yeah, um, but... came into his own. I think after his rebirth, you know, <laughs> yes, where he kind of fun. when he broke free, and then he 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 was less of a, a slapstick pun yeah. character and more like very useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went ham on the fucking character building for that proper min max. <laughs> But he couldn't do much other than hit things. So, you know, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, yeah, puns, definitely. Yay. Yay. All right, well, that is it for the 100th episode. Let's do an outro. Thank you for your letters. Sorry, I always forget to fucking say that. That muffin is looking awfully like a hamster. Someone baked a hamster into my muffin. All right, James, we're in the outro. Gone. No, you. What? No, you. No, me? Okay. So, fellow... No me. No you? Aha. No, anyway, no. Anyway, thank you very much for allowing us to get to episode 100. If you've listened right from the beginning, you know who you are. We seize you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite good to be at this this point. Like, it's taken fucking ages. Um, I think if we updated... Like, I feel a bit jealous of certain other podcasts that do once a week and that. But we, we try to go for quality over quantity. We don't succeed in that. Yeah, ever. It's sort of like we're not doing either, really. But, you know, we have gone to 100 episodes. That's a 100 fact. main episodes, you're very welcome. Or, or at the same time, sorry. But if you are still listening, then that's your own fault. Or thank you. Don't really know how to yeah. how to do this. We'll include some... Uh, we'll include some... 
uh, instructions on how to unsubscribe in the description below. <laughs> no, no. But th- seriously, thank you so much for listening. And thank you, uh, everyone, for sending your letters in. It's been a good 100 episodes. And uh, uh, hopefully, uh, in another five years, when we've done another 100, uh, we'll be in the dark future. Ah, oh, yes. You'll be mostly machine. Uh, you'll be like a sex bot or whatever, we're, we're, and you'll be my boyfriend. Yeah, I'll and... be comprised partly of chicken. <laughs> and I'll be uh, sort of the leader of sort of a rebel faction, I imagine, uh, like a really hard one with loads of handsome, oiled men uh, <laughs> beating people up and that. <laughs> so you've got that to look forward to in 100 episodes' time. But in case that's not fun enough to look forward to, just uh, email us on 3trpgpod at gmail.com. Of course, uh, we've got the... Uh, tw- uh, what's the other one? Discord, that'll be in the description. And uh, donate on Patreon because we desperately need the money because the dark future's coming and James needs to be partly a chicken vending machine and a sex robot. Yep. And also, don't forget that there are products on Drive Through RPG. I feel like it's. I feel like we should not plug those anymore, though, because we make them so infrequently. No, but and there the last are three have been actual. Well, they're still there. I mean, if you don't have there. them and you want to donate, like. Uh, a quid or whatever, then buy one of them. Uh, maybe you don't... Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you say, there are some actually good ones on there. Um, but there are some joke ones too, uh, which means you can enjoy a funny joke and donate a quid to the podcast if you want to. And one of them's down from £6,000, so, you know. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for helping us get to episode 100. You the man or woman, if you're a woman. Uh, yeah. Toaster, if you're bye. a toaster. If you're a toaster, you know, good job. And remember that, uh, well, I've been Harrison Hunt. I've been James Clark. And remember that D20s are cool, but D34s and that's a lot of these. (laughs) See you later, everyone. Bye, love you. All right, that is a wrap.